Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith, this is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week, university-conducted, double-blind, placebo-controlled study, participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about Zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like Bioptimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Buy Optimizers and use code INTEGRATIVETHOUGHTS10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. In today's show, we have Jason Hamill. I feel like he's become a little bit of a controversial figure in the health space lately by recommending super high doses of copper. He's written an entire book called The Copper Revolution, where he explains all of the benefits of taking copper and then how he's felt on taking super high doses. I've been on this protocol since the spring, and I've actually seen nothing but benefits. I've released a lot of parasites. I have better bowel movements. I have better emotional regularity, a little bit more energy, less napping throughout the day. And I was doing a lot of that with the Lyme disease. And so for me, I'm not sure if I agree with copper toxicity. And now I am on the other side, subject for that to change. I am staying open-minded. I'm going to monitor and see if I get any form of copper toxicity style uh, symptoms. But for now, it seems that I do pretty well on high-dose copper. And I wouldn't just recommend going and taking a bunch of copper. I did link to the copper quick start guide that Jason wrote because there's a lot of other minerals in his program that interplay with just taking copper. 
copper. So it's not just like a take more copper style protocol. And then we also disagree on a few things and I just let him say his piece and I didn't really argument anything about it. I just wanted to hear him out, such as vitamin A being a toxin. Um, I do pretty well on cod liver oil and organ supplements and those are high vitamin A uh, supplements. So I'm not sure. I just like to hear people out and see their side of the story and I don't have to debate or argue their ideas. I can just take with it as I please and then continue about my day and do what makes me feel best. So sit back and enjoy hearing about the benefits of copper. Jason Hamill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, you have a very, very interesting protocol that uh, my wife and I have been doing for quite a while. I read your book back in the spring. I was uh, pretty hip to a lot of Morley's work and dove in starting there. And, you know, it's a little bit more conservative than your approach, but a lot of a lot of the same similar values. And uh, so, you know, I've read your book and then I listened to his book on audiobook a couple of times. And um, I just think this whole copper thing that we have going on is super, super interesting. So um, why don't you give everybody your background and how you kind of got started into copper? Um, my background is that um, I studied Bible prophecy in my um, early 20s and 30s. I um, I was a ski racer, actually, in my early 20s, started studying Bible prophecy in my 30s. Um, then I started studying the gold market. Um, in both of those fields, there's no university anywhere where you can really get a good education in those subjects. Nobody teaches the gold standard, for example, at any university in the country. There are a, a few uh, Bible prophecy uh, universities, but the well, Bible schools, but they don't focus necessarily in prophecy. And then the difficulty, of course, is uh, how do you evaluate what they're going to teach you? Because after I went through university myself, just getting an undergraduate degree, I learned that you don't really know what they're going to teach you until after you go through it. So it's hard to evaluate the education you're going to get. And so uh, in several of these areas, it was just an enormous amount of self-study. And in fact, in the gold world, when I was writing about uh, gold stocks. Um, <laughs> there's one guy, he came up to me and said, Jason, I used to be the main speaker at all these gold shows. And I've read a lot of your work and you know more about the gold market and you know it better than anybody I've ever encountered. Who was your mentor? And I said, it's just a lot of self-study. And so I brought my own capacity for self-study right into the nutrition world. Um, in fact, if I go right back to my college days, some professors actually were telling me that, Jason, your IQ is so high. You know, you've got an IQ of 130. You know, you've been introduced to what's available in the research and how to do research. And so, you know, you can pretty much write your own ticket. You're the kind of guy who, you know, you're smarter than most attorneys or doctors. And um, you can go into the research and just become an expert on anything in the world that you want to. I'm like, really? This is interesting. That's weird. Yeah, you're the kind of guy who will probably study outside the universities and end up teaching the world whole new things. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Uh, what should I learn? <laughs> you know, so it was, I was very, very open ended, right, with my education and, and um so how did I get into, into the uh, nutrition world? This is funny. Um, I've always been sort of focused on health. I was an athlete. I was a ski racer. Um, uh, but then in my professional career, I studied the gold market. I, I ran a gold newsletter. Uh, I was very big in that small world. Um, I had about 80,000 people on a newsletter. Um, I got very good at writing and, and getting a lot of feedback immediately from that financial newsletter. Uh, writing on silver and gold. And um, eventually I ended up with a lot of business trauma, a lot of theft, 
the IRS put me out of business by in, engaging in false accusations against the amount of money that I had earned. And so I kind of shut down for a while. I had to shut down the newsletter, shut down my investing. I got banned from the financial system. I lost in court. Ten-year IRS battles are horrible. If you start battling the IRS, you've already lost. Uh, our tax and judicial system is not fair. Forget it. You'll never win. Um, but I'm alive. You know, I survived. And hmm. but after, after after going through all that kind of trauma, um, you know, I developed things like night sweats and um, uh, there was a little bit of brain degeneration that happens with trauma, lack of ability to focus. And so I began thinking, well, I'll just use the Internet to try to help heal me because all this tens of thousands of dollars I've spent on therapy is not working. So it's up to me to try to figure this out myself with my big brain. And I was able to. I found my way into iodine and the high iodine protocol. I researched various minerals um, like uh, MSM sulfur is very good for detoxing. So I added that to what I was taking. I found my way to boron. Uh, Dr. Fleckus, one of the high iodine doctors, he mentions boron. Uh, so did some other people. I found my way to, you know, copper and zinc initially just um, uh, as important minerals, but I didn't know anything about, you know, any high copper protocol. There was no no such thing. In fact, my initial studies into copper showed me that, well, copper should be taken between three milligrams and 10 milligrams. The upper limit is 10. So I'm like, oh, well, I got that nailed. I'll just take somewhere in the middle range, five milligrams, six, maybe nine milligrams back down to three. Um, and, you know, copper always made me a little nauseous. So I was always kind of suspicious about it. Um, but anyways, I just kept adding minerals, right, to the, my own protocol that I was taking, boron, MSM sulfur, iodine, selenium, magnesium, you know, vitamin C, B vitamins, their whole, the, the magnesium, the high iodine protocol is a fairly complete protocol. But I basically went on to add other minerals and improve upon it. Some people said that zinc should be on the protocol. And eventually my first article on copper from about five years ago in 2017 or, yeah, 2017, I wrote that uh, copper should be uh, of, um, is the missing nutrient on the high iodine protocol. And uh, I wrote about 10 articles and um, on copper. But the trouble with articles is that, you know, if you're a newsletter writer and it's going out to your audience, it's great. But articles themselves don't tend to give you the gravitas that a book does. And my wife said, you have to write the book. So the first book that I wrote was actually on healing arthritis because I healed arthritis in my body um through greens and stretching and all the minerals you know the the trouble with greens is they're great in detoxing but they deplete minerals so then i discovered minerals that's the antidote to the problem of too much greens um and that's kind of how what led me into the minerals um so i really got into high copper when i decided to look at copper again after removing it from my diet and i removed copper because it was giving me uh making me nauseous in my stomach and I said, well, let's just trust the body and, you know, see how it goes. And uh, I also noticed that copper stopped bleeding, found that copper stopped bleeding in the research. It stopped my nosebleeds, my lifelong nosebleeds. So I decided to then stop copper. And I said, well, if I get a nosebleed, I can always add it back in. And about six to eight months later, I had quite a few copper deficiency problems, including the nosebleeds that came back. I added the copper back in. And I said, oh, my gosh, this is wonderful. Why did I quit? Well, that was a huge mistake. Sometimes you do the wrong things to discover the right thing. And um, and then I had to realize, well, wait a second. Why is the limit 10? Uh, and I found that uh, 
they said that um, 10 milligrams is the level that causes no liver damage. And liver damage is the thing that happens at maximum doses of copper. They said, okay, well, what are those maximum doses and what is the dose that causes some liver damage? Because obviously, I mean, I also was a former alcoholic at the times to deal with my trauma. And I'm like, well, that clearly that causes liver damage. And we all know that um, aspirin and Tylenol and uh, ibuprofen, those all cause a little bit of liver damage. So what's the sum liver damage level for copper? And there is no answer to that question, not even to this very day, because the government said uh, they arbitrarily came up with 10 simply by multiplying the, their own arbitrarily defined RDA by 10. <laughs> In other <laughs> words, they, they did no further studies to determine at what level copper might be toxic. They never studied 11, they never studied 12, they never studied 20, they never studied 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 100 or 200 or 300 or 400. They never determined any upper limit by testing. So that's also very suspicious because you can't declare that there's an upper limit because there might be dangers when no dangers have ever been encountered. So, and they said we should do further research back in 93 and they never conducted any further research since then. Um, and four government agencies all echo the same sentiment that they've, they've never done any testing to determine the level at which might cause some problem. We should probably do that. And that's the state of um, our intellectual discourse on copper to this very day. It's wild. Um, and having learned that, I then challenged quite a few copper toxicity experts, and I said, show me the study where they gave people copper and they developed toxicity. And they all admit that there isn't one, or they just, they kind of admit that by failing to be able to produce one, and because that's not how they ever determine copper toxicity. What they have done is they correlate high copper in the blood or high copper in hair tissues, and then they say, well, look, these people are showing all sorts of signs of uh, copper deficiency. And if you look further, you'll discover that in copper deficiency, copper rises in the blood because the, cop, the body's trying to mobilize copper. So high copper in the blood is not a marker of copper toxicity, it's a marker of copper deficiency. So they're trying to use correlation to prove causation, and any first-year statistics student knows that you cannot use correlation to determine causation. And so what you have is a situation where only idiots are claiming that copper is toxic because there's no studies showing that copper is toxic. That's how I got wow. into it. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. And it's funny, you kind of sparked my interest because I used to be former alcoholic as well and pop pain pills and shit too. And I was like, well, if I did all that for a decade, how how bad could copper really do me? And why can't I test it a little bit? So it's funny, we were a little similar, like that kind of resonated with me. And maybe yeah. that's my little bit little bit of my wild side. But I was like, you know, uh -huh. it's a mineral. Like how like I don't really um think that copper should be labeled as toxic. Now, when we're getting into these higher doses, um, I know we'll maybe get into this, maybe there is some area where we may cause some different deficiencies, but as far as just labeling it as toxic, you have to think like, so someone like you who's been doing extremely high doses for so long, why wouldn't you have any schizophrenia? Why wouldn't you have any of these brain issues? So the actual labeling of it as toxic is one thing. I'm very open to it, maybe long-term causing some form of deficiency that we have to figure out. But the actual labeling of toxic to me is, uh, I don't really resonate with that. Well, you know, um, there's reasons why they say that. And I've gotten into that in my studies and by looking what they have to say when they're not flipping out, you know, one-on-one -on -one with you. But, you know, look, as a former alcoholic, and I've been sober now 10 years, uh, my brain capacity was significantly declined 
when I was an alcoholic and going through rehab 10 years ago, but I have gotten an enormous amount of brain power back. And then some, I'm, I know for so many ways I'm smarter now than I was 10 years ago or even five years ago when I was first writing on copper. Now, my first book was 300 pages. The copper book that you read was easily 500 pages and I had to cut it short to prevent it from running to 800 pages. Um, I specifically did not include all of how many common neurodegenerative diseases uh, you know, like, uh, thyroid problems could be helped by copper. I mean, it's, it's touched in there, but I didn't include special chapters on all of the popular neurodegenerative diseases that people have because the book would just run on way too long. Um, I mean, the book was long, long enough as it was. Um, <laughs> so my own brain power is so significantly improved. And then, and, and there's evidence of that even in the book. Like I have the longest list anywhere of, the things that copper does in the body. My list stretches on to about 200 different things. And I got to tell you, that's only from what I was able to see in the research. Copper could do a, probably a lot more, but the research is limited. Um, and the other thing is to add to a list of 200 things, you have to keep a list of 200 things in your head while you're reading the book so that if you encounter something that's not on your list, you can then say, aha, that's not in my list of 200 things. And that is a very difficult mental task to compile a list of 200 things that copper does. Um, because, you know, most people, they don't keep lists of 200 things in their head at, at one time. Um, in my psychology 101 classes, it was taught to us that most people can keep a list of about seven digits in their head at once, very temporarily before they forget. And that's why phone numbers are seven. <laughs> they, they actually <laughs> did a psychological study in psych 101 classes where they showed, okay, they read a list of 30 words. And nobody could write anything down. We were all supposed to just remember them. And then they said, okay, go write down as many words as you can. And most people got about seven words because that's how your short-term memory works. I got to about 18, which was like, you know, highest of just about anybody in the class, maybe one or two people uh, got beyond 18 in a class of 500. So my short-term memory is pretty good. But again, that shows the difficulty of compiling a list of 200 things. It's very, very difficult. Um, that goes to show that my brain power is very on point and is very good. And um, that's the point I was trying to make. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're uh, very smart, definitely for your age, very well spoken. I mean, it sounds like you were always a little bit smarter maybe than the average. But, um, you know, as you get older and people tend to decline most of the time, they don't tend to feel like they get smarter and their memory gets better. And that could be just so due to the copper and some of the detoxification effects that uh, involve so. uh, neurodegenerative stuff. Yeah. Yes. And I'm 52, by the way. So, yeah. Yeah. You look great. So, Thank I you. mean, um, what I wanted to get into before we dive into copper, because to a lot of people, this will be very new, but I feel like uh, there's a lot of older research that you and Morley quote and a lot of ancient historical uses for copper. So, why don't we dive into some of that so that we give some people some context? Okay. I'm, I know this is the, at the very beginning, but I want to just cover two little things at the very beginning. Uh, one we said earlier, and that is um, we, we talked about how much copper I'm taking. That's a lot, but I should say what that is. I'm taking 30 milligrams of copper orally every day, if not more, sometimes up to 40 to 50 milligrams orally. And I apply on my skin up to 70 to 100 milligrams topically. So I'm getting up to 150 milligrams of copper, which completely blows away the myth that 10 milligrams is dangerous or the upper limit. Um, and second, my second point that I wanted to bring to you is that we've touched a bit on copper toxicity, and I want to encourage you to ask me the hard questions. You know, some people, they, they say things like, well, copper will kill you. 
and that's true, but only up to, you know, 20,000 milligrams. So, you know, if you want to get into the hard questions, let's let's get into it and let's address it. And now I'll come back to the question you want to focus on and talk about those other things in a little bit. And that is the historical uses of copper. I found at copper.org had a website that covered the historical uses of copper very well. Historically, copper was used to heal ulcers, to heal things like axe wounds. They would, um, this is amazing, they would pour dry powdered granules of copper sulfate directly onto open wounds. And if you think about that, that's extremely highly concentrated because what we do is we take um, you know, five, eight, five eighths of a teaspoon of copper and we put it in a two ounce bottle uh, of, and fill it with water. And that makes a solution that's one milligram per drop. That's a very dilute solution compared to putting, you know, crystals directly into your open wounds. I already know that copper put directly into open wounds stings like hell. <laughs> um, but what it does is it speeds healing. It stops bleeding. Um, it uh, helps the skin to regenerate and all the tissues to sort of build itself anew. Um, it boosts hormones. So uh, boosts collagen production. So all of these things are, are very powerful healing modalities. It was used to cure ulcers, not just open wounds, but an ulcer is an open wound, like on the leg. So it's great for ulcers in the stomach. I mean, a lot of people, they, they bring their preconceived notions. Ooh, copper's acidic. It's going to burn. And I've got ulcers and I therefore can't take it. That's, that's not the, how, how it works. Um, I do have a bit of runny nose right now. Maybe I need more zinc. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so let's see. This is historic uses. It also is used for, um, uh, stopping seizures. It was used for, um, uh, makeup. Cleopatra used copper sulfate or no, malachite. That's it. Malachite, powdered malachite as makeup, which was like green eyeshadow. Um, so copper reduces puffy, puffiness in the skin. Um, and it, uh, it's great for the skin. I don't know if you've applied it uh, topically, but, uh, it just really, uh, makes the skin look young. Um, what else historically used for all sorts of infectious diseases? Kind of used as a cure-all. Um, more recent history, there's a guy named uh, Radmacher in Germany in the 1850s who used copper in – he used copper um, copper oxide in large amounts from 60 milligrams to 240 milligrams, and he called it a cure-all. Um, he cured all sorts of things, um, um, arthritis, um, uh, infections. Um, uh, well, he just called it a cure-all. Absolutely. And I heard Morley on a recent podcast say that there's not a single pathogen in the body that doesn't fold in the presence of copper. I mean, basically, yes. There's not any, a single like, pathogen that can live on a surface of copper, too. Yeah, that makes sense because it's used in, like, that's why people use, like, uh, copper to drink out of, drink their water out of. And we used to have copper pots. And people used to make even just, like, stuff in their house out of copper, right? Just I have a copper, copper cup, cup right here. <laughs> Yeah, so it used to be used as like surfaces and stuff because of those effects, right? That's right, and still used for the, those purposes. And hospitals continually sort of there's advocates who say, well, we should be using more copper surfaces in hospitals because it kills germs. And hospitals often have trouble with um, uh, MRSA infections, germs that can't be killed by standard uh, penicillin type antibiotics, and you know, those are a big problem and very expensive and, and making more surfaces available that, have, that are made out of copper can help that. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Cool. So I just want to dive into the history a little bit. So let's get into that's going to be the major question that everyone has is the copper toxicity. Um, so I know you already kind of touched on the blood work and uh, stuff like that and uh, how even copper deficiency would show high copper. But what do you really think high uh, like copper toxicity is and what kind of level will we really need to be there to be toxic? Right. So um, there are suicides in India. These people will uh, try to kill themselves with copper sulfate because it's cheap and it's available. It happens about once a year, once every other year. So if you go back about 50 years, there's maybe, you know, 25 to 35 cases of people trying to kill themselves uh, with copper sulfate. The amounts ingested are typically in the 20,000 milligram range. And to convert that to an amount that we might know about, um, it's about 12 teaspoons. And in fact, table salt is also toxic at that same exact amount. It's about 12 teaspoons. People do die uh, from ingesting too much table salt. So it's very interesting that essentially the copper crystals are technically as safe as table salt. However, don't go around consuming a teaspoon of uh, copper sulfate crystals because it has dramatically different effects and it will make you far more nauseous. On occasion, people will have drank an entire two ounce bottle like we should suggest people make, which has a thousand milligrams in it. And I think we've had three or four people out of the 16,000 people in our group who've done that. And what happens is um, they have to sit on the toilet for about three to four hours while um, uh, also puking during that time period. Um, but very often they say the following day, they feel fantastic because they've in, uh, gone through such a very fast and rapid and uh, too quick of a copper detox. And in fact, the uh, medical establishment used to give um, copper sulfate in 100 milligram amounts or even 500 milligram amounts specifically to induce vomiting because it does do that. Uh, it's just too much too quick. Um, nobody likes to engage in vomiting on a regular basis. It's not how we recommend people take copper. Um, we, we, try to teach people how to avoid vomiting as much as possible. Every now and then people will vomit on three to four to, you know, uh, 10 milligrams. But the point is, you know, you work up slowly, you take it with milk, you take it with food. Vomiting is far less likely to happen. And that is a far better way to take copper. Awesome. So, so if someone has like high copper on like a hair tissue mineral analysis test, what do you think that's the indication of? So it means that copper's coming out in the hair and um, that could be, from copper wasting. It could be that their body is not able to hold on to the copper that they are getting. It has no indication of how much copper is in the body. Um, blood tests are a poor indication of uh, copper in the body because, uh, again, high blood copper can happen with copper deficiency, as we already mentioned. Um, there's quite a few researchers say, who say that um, and in a wide array of copper deficiency diseases. We know what the copper deficiency diseases look like because um, they show up both in low blood copper and in very high blood copper. So the idea here is that as deficiency begins to set in, the body attempts to mobilize copper, say, from the bone marrow to bring it to the tissues that need it immediately. And the body and the body will then assume, well, we'll just we'll store copper in the marrow later. But when there's no more copper to, say, mobilize out of the marrow, then deficiency starts setting in. Um, so even the copper toxicity advocates list quite an array of things that they think include copper toxicity and they include things like anemia. Well, anemia is from low copper because we know we need copper to help turn iron into red blood cells for 
a wide array of cellular mechanisms that require the copper. So, you know, and, and we need copper for inflammation, but in inflammation, copper is high in the blood because the body's trying to mobilize copper that's not there to solve the inflammation problem. Uh, and it's like that across a wide array of like heart disease. Um, Cleve is a government researcher who has studied that um, there are 80 similar biomarkers of copper deficiency of heart disease in mice uh, that are deprived of copper, similar to heart disease patients. So that's an enormous body of work showing how similar uh, copper deficiency is to heart disease and goes to show that copper deficiency is, causes heart disease. Um, and there are other reasons why we know this because copper helps to both mobilize, well, copper strengthens the arteries, copper strengthens the heart through ATP. Um, we need copper strengthens the arteries because it helps to make collagen. Um, and copper clears out the arteries uh, because it helps to convert cholesterol into the hormones the body uses. Uh, copper clears out the calcium because it's really calcium and cholesterol that bind themselves together to you know, line the arteries. Uh, copper clears out the calcium because copper puts calcium back to the bones. So there's all these mechanisms of action why we know that copper cures heart disease. And yet copper is high in the blood in people with heart disease because the body's trying to mobilize copper that's not there. So really the only way to know whether a person is really high copper or low copper is to do a bone biopsy, which is never done to determine copper levels. Yeah, I'm glad you came back around to that because I wanted to touch. So basically... Um, copper wants to be stored in the bone marrow. And so that's going to be really tough to kind of get a picture of it in the blood or in the hair. And also to touch on the uh, hair tissue test, I'm wondering if maybe if copper is helping to detox and you are detoxing through your hair, that maybe the copper is coming out in the hair with the other metals or toxins that it's mobilizing out. And then also maybe um, you're just really good at excreting the copper, the excess copper, if you're taking higher doses. Well, copper should be in the hair for two reasons, because copper is needed to make the color for the hair, number one, and copper is also needed to make the keratin for uh, what makes up the shaft of the hair. So if copper is there for two reasons, and then it's also copper is needed for the skin, um, you know, copper is naturally supposed to be there. So just because somebody has high copper in the hair has utterly no bearing on whether or not they're toxic. Um, and again, it could be that extra copper is coming out in the hair for whatever reason, like if a person doesn't have enough potassium or calcium to hold on to the copper, it could come out in the hair too. There's, we really just don't know. And the other problem with HDMA, as I've looked into it, is that uh, there's like about 13 different studies that show that the same hair sample from the same person at the same time sent to the same lab, but just under a different name, comes back relatively different. <laughs> so their tests are not replicable. And what science is, is when you can take something and you can repeat the test and it's still accurate, then it's science. So HTMA does not even qualify as science. And then if you take that same hair sample and you have, you know, three different hair samples that are all from the same person at the same time, you send one to a different HTMA lab, then it's wildly different. So if the tests themselves are not remotely similar in results, it's probably worse than reading tea leaves and people in the health field should just completely ignore it. You should at least study the reliability and accuracy of what you're doing before you start. So I, I put almost no credence in it. Now, I, I will say one thing, however, and that's this. Sometimes HDMA can be useful because it can show things like mercury in the air. 
and mercury should never be in anybody's body. So if you get an HCMA and it, and it shows mercury, well, that's something you should be rightly concerned about. However, just because an HDMA comes back with no mercury does not mean that you're in the clear because your body might simply be holding on to the mercury rather than successfully letting go and detoxing mercury like it should be. So even that, you can get a false sense of security from an HDMA when the body's not letting go of mercury like it should. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I know we're kind of touching on everything. Um, I guess people will probably be wondering why, why do you think everyone's so copper deficient nowadays? That's a great, that's a great question. And I, I think I had about a 13 part answer in my book on that subject, but, um, I'll start first of all with our soils. You know, our soils are primarily fertilized with, uh, NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium fertilizers, and they don't add copper to the soil. So over time, copper gets depleted. Also, Noah's flood may very well have depleted a lot of copper because copper sulfate is water soluble. Um, now, you would think maybe the copper sulfate got washed in the oceans and it would be more highly concentrated there. However, when copper sulfate encounters magnesium and magnesium is a high concentration in the ocean, it precipitates out because the sulfur goes from the copper sulfate to the magnesium. So you would think that maybe things on the ocean bottom floor would be high in copper like crabs, and sure enough, they are. Uh, crabs and uh, um, what is it? Uh, um, clams are high in copper. Um, however, um, those are not really good sources of food because a they're not kosher and b they're loaded with other toxins because they're bottom feeders. So, but that evidence goes to show that if there was a global flood, and there are people who believe that, like I do, but there are people who also don't, that could explain why also. Uh, lifespans got dramatically, one of the reasons, one of several reasons why lifespans got dramatically reduced after Noah's flood, not just because iodine, not just because copper got washed into the oceans, but maybe also iodine or other unknown minerals that are water soluble. Um, there could be an array of 15 or 20 different water soluble vitamins that, or minerals that we all need that we're all deficient in. And maybe iodine and copper are among the top two, but there could be others that I just don't know. You never know what you don't know. That's the hard part of life. Absolutely. And so even if we go back like 100. Reason. Okay, You'll go keep ahead. going. Oh, I was okay, just going to say, even like 100 years ago, um, we were getting like, you know, five bread somewhere like five to 10 milligrams just naturally in our diet, not even that long ago. That's right. And that's, you know, and that's only because they did some studies that long ago. But 200 years ago, we have no idea what how much copper people were getting. So there are multiple things that make copper lower in the soil, not just over farming, but also glyphosate. Glyphosate is a copper chelator and it prevents it from being absorbed or used by plants. So all of the foods we're getting are low in copper. In fact, you know, the copper is supposed to be high in liver. And historically speaking, uh, you know, they say that there's like uh, 64 milligrams of copper per pound in, in cow liver. Uh, however, somebody recently did a test of grass-fed cow liver, and it had essentially zero copper, zero. So, I mean, that's shocking. Um, so if the food doesn't have it, you can't get it. So it's very important to supplement with something like copper sulfate or copper glycinate. Those are the top two copper forms that work. A lot of people try these other things like colloidal. They asked me about colloidal... Um, copper all the time. And the trouble is an entire bottle of colloidal copper will have 30 milligrams, which is one daily dose. It's not economic to take copper in that form. Um, there are so many reasons why we're copper deficient, um, not just the fact that we're not getting in our food, but that's a huge reason. 
In fact, so the, the actual data on how much copper we are getting is um, 80% of the people in America are only getting two-thirds of the RDA. The RDA is 0.9 milligrams, so most people are getting 0.6 milligrams or less. That's 10 times less than what we historically got, which was, you know, 6 milligrams or more. So most people are copper deficient. It's 80% are getting 0.6 or less. Maybe some people are only getting 0.3. Um, the other thing is that 70% of Americans are taking some form of uh, prescription medication. And almost all prescription medications are toxic by definition. They're toxic by definition, they admit, because they're only available by prescription. If they weren't so dangerous, they'd let anybody get it off the shelf. And even the, the prescriptions we can get off the shelf, like Tylenol and ibuprofen and um, aspirin, all of those deplete copper. And in fact, you know, uh, aspirin was made from willow bark. Right. And willow bark actually contains copper. What they did was they separated copper from the aspirin to create just the aspirin. It's supposed to be something like a copper salicate or something that's supposed to be an aspirin. Um, but they removed the copper from it. So there it causes copper. In fact, all of those cause bleeding by way of copper deficiency. When they create ulcers in the stomach from these painkillers, it's because you take a, a medicine like that and it sits in the stomach on the stomach lining. It will deplete copper from that area and then create an ulcer, which is why copper is used to cure ulcers. It all fits together, all this information. Okay, getting back to the subject, you said, mm -hmm. why are we all so copper depleted? All these medicines that everyone is taking are depleting copper because copper is an antitoxin. Uh, copper is a detoxifier. So while copper can deplete Toxins, toxins also deplete copper because they bind together. So which one are we taking more of? If we're taking prescription medicines, we're guaranteed to be copper deficient. If we take a ton of copper and don't take any prescription medicines, we get cleared out of all of our toxins and we feel lots better. Um, not just prescription medicines, though. So we've talked on only two big reasons why we're all copper deficient. Not in the soils, it's not in the foods, it's not in the animals, and medicines depleted. But also a lot of the vitamins and minerals that we take to get healthy depleted. So iodine, for example, can deplete copper, and there's kind of only anecdotal information for that, but people in the high iodine protocol can end up with vitiligo, which is white patches on the skin, which means there's no pigment. We need copper for the pigment, so that's an anecdotal evidence that iodine causes copper deficiency. Another thing, the high iodine protocol can cause what's known as adrenal fatigue, and that's exactly what happened to me. So I started going, okay, well, for adrenal fatigue, what do you take? What do you take? And I read the literature out, well, take magnesium. Make sure you get enough sleep. Uh, don't work out too much. Take your B vitamins. Take these herbal supplements. I did all those things. I got a little bit of relief from my own adrenal fatigue. And then finally, when I started adding more copper, all that fatigue went away. I felt so much better. I was sleeping better, sleeping more deeply. Did not have to take mandatory naps in the middle of the day, like during my adrenal fatigue. I wasn't crashing uh, anymore. I, and I would have these crashes where I'd go to the store and feel like I would just have to take a nap immediately. That's copper deficiency because we need copper to make ATP for energy. We need copper to transform oxygen in the mitochondria into ATP for energy. We actually need two other things, magnesium and B vitamins. So it's all very important to take all three of those. Sometimes after the first two to three weeks of people taking copper, they're like, oh, I had all this energy. What happened? Well, if you're not taking any magnesium or uh, B vitamins or if your magnesium got depleted, 
during initial stages of detox, you need all three of those, B vitamins, magnesium, and copper for energy. Um, so sometimes people have like a, a energy rebound and then they take the magnesium, the B vitamins, and then they're back with all their energy again. So I know talking, I'm talking about, uh, um, I'm talking about a lot. These other minerals can deplete copper. If you take too much magnesium, it can deplete copper. Too much iodine can deplete copper. Too much vitamin D can deplete copper. Too much calcium can deplete copper. But a lot of these minerals have curvy curves. They're like a bell curve. So with calcium, if you don't take any calcium, copper is less well absorbed. If you take the right amount of calcium, more copper is absorbed. If you take too much calcium, copper is less well absorbed again. So it's a curvy curve. And then those curvy curves would probably change with high copper, but high copper kind of busts through a lot of this stuff. So a lot of these mm, copper blocking substances might be inadvertently blamed only and only be applied to when people are getting 0.3 or 0.6 milligrams of copper. And then if you do high calcium, then it's going to cause problems. And it might even take a couple of years for that to set in. But once you're on like 30 milligrams of copper, almost all of the interaction problems go away. And you've got plenty of copper and it solves all the problems. Like, for example, they say vitamin C at over 1,500 milligrams might deplete ceruloplasmin, which then might lower copper. However, once we're on 30 milligrams of copper, all of those concerns go away and we have no troubles. But I still don't like to take, you know, more than about 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C. Um, what else? OK, so we talk about uh, it's not in the it's not in the foods. Medicines deplete it and all toxins deplete copper. And a lot of the other um, a lot of the other uh, vitamins and minerals deplete copper, and exercise even depletes copper. A lot of people exercise for 20, 30 years, and then suddenly they hit a wall and have no idea what happened. Sweating can deplete copper, and ex you know, um, what is it? Um, it's called uh, when you hit the wall exercising. It's not just hitting the wall. It's um, overtraining. Overtraining. I looked at all the symptoms over overtraining. There's like 19 different symptoms. All of those look exactly identical to copper deficiency to me after I have studied copper. I, I'm absolutely aghast and amazed that the athletic world still hasn't figured that out yet. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, you touched on everything I thought. And um, also, it's you missed, uh, I think, zinc. Because, like, you know, vitamin D and zinc are like these uh, vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc are like what's touted to be healthy. Well, what do those all do? They all lower copper. So, it's like, that's yeah, right. those things are great, but you also have to pay attention to like what you may be imbalancing. And that's why I said I'm very open to maybe this high copper thing, even imbalancing something. But for now, I feel pretty good on it. But I mean, you know, I'm open to changing and which like you are, you change a lot in the form. If anyone uh, is in there, you definitely change your protocol quite a bit and kind of we've changed our experiment. protocol seven times in the last year. I'm, I'm really amazed at how much I've learned. Um, I can go over those in a minute. But first, I want to say. Zinc has that same bell curve with regards to its amounts and affecting copper. So low zinc and you don't absorb copper as well. With some zinc, you absorb copper better, say about 13 milligrams of zinc and only one milligram of copper. That copper will be absorbed better. But at 50 milligrams of zinc, then less copper is absorbed. However, there's no studies that show how well zinc and copper can help them absorb at 30 milligrams. There's only our own forums experience and my own personal experience. And again, once you take 30 milligrams of copper, all of these negative interactions seem to go away and they don't really show up. In order for me to deplete my copper with zinc, I have to take roughly no topical copper, maybe 30 milligrams or lower, and I have to go up to 100 to 150 milligrams of zinc 
for a while and then I'll notice slightly less effects from my copper, more sleepiness, less alertness, and it seems to get out of balance at those levels. Awesome. That's great. Do you think there's like a global conspiracy to deplete us of copper? Or do you think they're too stupid to recognize the power of copper? I addressed that in my book and I was very, very curious. It does seem like there is a conspiracy. However, I've read funny quotes like this that say, never attribute to your enemy evil subversive genius when plain old stupidity will suffice. Humans are mm -hmm. not that smart. We really are not. Um, people get, you know, the correlation causation thing mixed up. Uh, they've never conducted these studies. There's no incentive for them to create those studies um, because copper is not something that people can make money on. So it just gets forgotten or left on the wayside. Uh, I, sorry, <clears throat> left on the wayside. They forget about doing the studies that they should have done because they really don't care. There's no incentive, monetary incentive for anybody to do those studies. Um, if we're like, even for me, I'm promoting copper full time. This is a full time job that brings in part time income. It's not very <laughs> lucrative, right? So if I can't make it work, how can the big guys make it work? It's funny. They have the same problems that we do. They're just humans. Everybody, you know, needs to put food on the table. So why would you spend, you know, $10 million of government money on a study showing the benefits of copper if nobody can make money on it? Is it intentional? Is it not? You would think that if they knew copper was really important, there would at least be some defectors from the elite saying they're specifically trying to copper deplete anyone. And we've never heard of that from any of them. So it could very well be that they're just stupid. I, and I finally conclude in my book, it doesn't really matter if they're trying to um, deplete us from copper intentionally or not, because the, there's really only one solution. And that is for us to take the copper we need. We can't force the government to try to do better. And that's just spinning wheels. That's a 30 year battle. And there's really no need to go there other than primarily, A, taking copper for yourself, getting your loved ones on copper, doing it right, taking it with the cofactors, you know, taking it with B vitamins and the, you know, uh, uh, molybdenum is an important cofactor because uh, copper can deplete molybdenum and vice versa. Um, taking it with cofactors of zinc and vitamin C and, well, basically we have about 20 minerals on our protocol. We're not exactly a, you know, a copper only, but we have noticed and we do believe that copper is probably the most important mineral on our list of 20. We think maybe iodine is second. Yeah, no, that's great. I definitely wanted to get into the cofactors in a little bit. Sure. Uh, I just wanted to see what how you felt about that. It seems like it is a little intentional sometimes with the timelines and the way they all line up. Some of the things right. have, like with the, lowering the iodine or whatever all in the same year. And then the yeah. iron fortification system. I guess we kind of skipped over that when we talked about some copper antagonist. Uh, Want to touch on the iron fortification system and how that will deplete copper? Sure. Yeah. Copper is copper. Um, iron depletes copper. Um, they compete for absorption, but you'll never have a situation where copper depletes iron, even though it's said that that's mentioned in the literature. But there's really only one person in the world who depleted their iron with copper. They took 2000 milligrams of copper a day every day for three months straight. That's probably five times as much copper as I've taken in the last four years. <laughs> and uh, and they developed anemia which kind of shows they probably depleted their iron. Um, and it's really hard to deplete your iron with copper. Again, he took 2000 milligrams because copper actually helps us absorb more iron in our diet uh, because of the, it has a pause. Most of these minerals have positive interaction effects and the, and the negative interaction effects only happen at extreme wildly high doses. So you really don't 
a lot of people are more afraid of the interaction effects than they need to be. <clears throat> if you just take them in reasonable doses, you'll be fine. Um, um, the, so, right, um, the medical establishment's cure for anemia or low iron is to take iron. But iron doesn't work to solve iron deficiency problems because we need to utilize that iron. We need copper to utilize the iron. The way it does it is uh, copper sulfate, actually, uh, the sulfur binds to the iron. And iron sulfate is water soluble. So the body can transport the iron where it needs to go a lot easier. The other thing is we take copper, cereloplasmin goes up. And cereloplasmin does not just transport copper around the body. It also transports iron. Um, and we need copper to make red blood cells, <clears throat> not just iron. We need both. It's a mistake to just think you can take just copper blocking iron to solve anemia. It's never going to work that way. You always have to take some copper with it. But the medical establishment will never advocate copper. And that's weird. But, you know, there's no monetary incentive for them to do the right thing, in part because healthy customers don't pay and don't need to pay physicians. So, yeah, is it intentional? Or are they intentionally depleting us of copper? Hard to know. It could be that they're just ignorant. What What's really interesting to me is that I've, I'm the only person in the world that I know of that's currently advocating, well, and then everyone else in my group, and you too now, right, who's advocating that we take 10, more than 10 milligrams. And all my information is all out there in the research, but there's still none of the individual researchers who've discovered bits and parts on copper advocate high doses. There's only one guy, Olivares, who tested 20 milligrams of copper does not cause liver damage, but he didn't go and advocate 20 milligrams. He just said, well, we've tested. He's the one guy who did what the government should have done. He did it somewhere in South America, uh, said it doesn't cause liver damage. But he said that our, the RDA should really be about four. And he said maybe we should also increase the tolerable limit. But he never said that we should probably be taking 20 milligrams either. And he also never interviewed his subjects to see if they felt better. He just tested them to see if it caused liver damage because that was the slanderous problem of copper over 20. So he addressed the problem and never quite got the full picture. You know, it's it's very difficult because researchers, they're under this publisher-parish mentality. And I took four years just to read my book. In other words, I went through college all over again in real life just to get to the point where I could write my book. Most people don't have that time to do that much research in the real world. So what I've accomplished is very weird in a sense. Yeah, Unusual. it's very, very interesting. And there's for people who haven't uh, read the book at all, which I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this probably haven't, um, the um, one on Kindle is great because you can just click every single click study. The link. It, you just click the cool. link. I mean, there is unlimited amounts of links you can click in his book. It's this isn't just something he's rattling off. He has lots of scientific data. Um, I know it sounds like we're kind of anti-scientific data when we're talking about screw the blood test and screw the hair test. But in the book, it's very, very scientific. And then in the group, we've all kind of been like feeding off each other's anecdotal stories because we're kind of more into monitoring symptoms and healing than we are the test. So, but there is a lot of science behind the data he's proven. Matt, I really want to thank you for that book plug, but not only that, but for the way that the book is written, because, you know, a lot of books, what they do is they put footnotes, right? And then the footnotes only will reference, say, some other book that's not accessible. 
I specifically wrote my book because we're living in the information age where people want to know, well, what's your source for that? And I only wanted to include sources where it's a clickable link where you could go and verify the information immediately. And also what I did is I did, and I'll just write a little sentence and then include a source. And then you're left with going, well, what sentence, what part of that sentence is backed up by that source? So every single time in my book, I do two things differently than most sources. I quote from my source, the full paragraph that I think is important, and I provide the link so that you can copy both the paragraph and then copy and search for that paragraph in the source and find it instantaneously. And then I will write my words about what I think is important because sometimes, gosh, you find this all the time. Somebody will say, well, copper sulfate is toxic, and then they will link their source. And I go link their source and it shows, yeah, I already know that people who take 20,000 milligrams in India trying to kill themselves uh, sometimes die. That's inapplicable for me taking 30 milligrams, and it's a lie for them to cite their source that doesn't show what they're saying. Now, sometimes also in my sources, the researcher, they might come to a conclusion such as, for example, here's a popular one that they will say. They will say, well, the body excretes all the copper after a month on copper at 10 milligrams, therefore proving that the body doesn't want copper and there's a homostatic mechanism designed where the body doesn't want copper. That is a value judgment that they have put on top of their data. Another value judgment you could use is that the body's detoxification systems and enzymes don't begin to be fully activated until the body gets at least 300 milligrams of copper then the body stores of copper are fully saturated, and then metallothionine works correctly to be able to excrete not just the copper that's contained within it, but also things like mercury. That's when your detox really ramps up and the copper is working effectively in the body as a proper detoxification mechanism. Entirely different value judgment. And so when I quote authors and then have a different value judgment, I look, well, so here's the data, here's the data. And that's just a value judgment, and it's a wrong value judgment based on the other data that I've gathered from these other sources, because we know that metallothionine is, helps to detox mercury, and that's what we want. That detox is not just mercury, but cadmium and lead and arsenic, too. I used to be scared of arsenic and rice. Am I scared of arsenic and rice anymore? Hell no, because I've got copper on my side. See? Yeah, I actually wanted to get into that next. Uh, what uh, about uh, copper? And we talked about it a little bit, but let's kind of dive into a little bit deeper about the, all of those detox enzymes that uh, copper's uh, needed to make. Sure. So uh, metallothionine is not just one. It's an entire family of enzymes, um, probably five or six or seven of them. Um, we need both zinc and copper and selenium, maybe other Things also help us make metallothionines. I encountered that uh, gold will help with the body make more metallothionines and also blueberries. Uh, the metallothionines are known to be very great for the brain because, of course, you know, most toxins are also nerve toxic. So if you have something nerve toxic going on, that's going to negatively affect your brain. A lot of people, when they first start taking copper, they say, oh, I got a little bit of brain fog. Now, most people will say, my brain fog lifted right away. It's great. It all kind of depends on what stage in the detox stage you're at or if you're taking enough copper. Often people get brain fog when they take three milligrams of copper or less. And often people, when they take five milligrams to 10 milligrams of copper, their brain fog lifts. And the reason is that, you know, we the average person has 2,600 milligrams of fluoride in the body. And again, the amount of copper that we're getting is, is very, very small. So we have to be able to take enough copper 
to meaningfully detoxify the toxins in our system, and fluoride is the biggest one. Uh, bromine is another one. Bromine, 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 and uh, it's like iodine, bromine. Um, we have probably 150 milligrams of bromine. Most people have the same amount of lead in their body as copper. Lead is not even a controversial toxin. Those other two might be. Lead is not a controversial toxin, but metallothionines will detox even lead. Again, most people have, say, about 70 milligrams of lead in their body and only 70 milligrams of copper. What in the hell are we doing? We should all be detoxifying lead all the time because lead is an undisputed nerve toxin. So just for lead alone, we should be taking uh, copper. Again, it detoxifies mercury, detoxifies arsenic, detoxifies cadmium, all through metallothionine. Another one is superoxide dismutase. Um, it is one of the most powerful antioxidants in the body. Oh, antioxidants are great because <laughs> there's another debate going off the subject. But um, antioxidants like superoxide dismutase turn copper two into copper one. And we make more of this superoxide dismutase just by taking copper two. So you don't need to take a copper one supplement just to get copper one because copper two converts to copper one in the body through these other means. And in fact, copper probably makes a good 15, not just one, at least 15 different antioxidants in the body. Ceruloplasmin is also an antioxidant that converts copper two to copper one. So you don't need to take copper one in the body. The other thing is these copper one advocates, they claim that uh, copper two is toxic. That's not the case. Um, there is, of course, the idea of copper toxicity out there, but we've solidly refuted it by successfully taking copper too. Um, some of these other enzymes, yes, yeah, ceruloplasmin is one, superoxidismutase, metallothionine. There are a few more I'm just forgetting right now. But, uh, yeah, there's there's like 15 of them. Yeah, that's great. Actually, I um, did find that the copper one, I tried a bottle um, from the forum, Seemed to be a oh, little yeah. bit gentler. I don't know if it was all the way mm -hmm. worth paying the extra amount of money. Um, maybe if somebody's really, really detoxing hard and can't handle it that well. But then I've also um, read that if you have enough um, ascorbic acid coming in, you're going to convert that copper two to copper one uh, quite easily That's anyways. Right. Is, that, is that the ascorbic case? Ascorbic acid is an antioxidant, so it also converts copper two to copper one. And then also iodine is a reducing agent. So any reducing agent is an antioxidant that will convert copper two to copper one. So, you know, you'd have to be really, really sick to not have any of those in the body. And you'd also have to not follow the protocol appropriately in order to have a copper two to copper one conversion problem. And I, I really don't see that that's happening because we tell people take vitamin C right away in the beginning. Yeah, and uh, you got me on the ascorbic acid, honestly, because I was, when I first started, I was, uh, still coming over from the the Morley camp and I was using um, like oh, acerola cherry powder and I was trying to up the dose on that, but then it just gets super expensive. So I was like, well, right. let me just try the ascorbic acid and just see, cause everyone in the forums kind of uh, touting that they, they switched over and seemed to be doing well. And uh, as soon as I did that, I felt better on the protocol. Honestly, I take uh, about 2000 milligrams a day and that seemed to That's help. Great. Uh, for sure. I, I don't know if it's just the the whole food vitamin C is not strong enough. Like I'm sure the flavonoids and everything in there are great. I don't, I'm not against whole food vitamin C, but for the protocol and for the detox reactions, I think the ascorbic acid probably works better. 
Well, it's also significantly cheaper. It's like, uh, you know, Whole Foods here is about 15 times more in price to maybe 30 times more in price. And because of that reason, not a whole lot of people are going to want to take a thousand milligrams, which is what you need. And then the other trouble is that, you know, a lot of plant byproducts where the Whole Foods sea is derived from, um, you know, plants in general absorb minerals. That's what they do. That's their job and to absorb minerals from the soil. So they're also could they could be that they're absorbing minerals from us and then therefore blocking the copper effectively. So it doesn't seem to work right. But it also, so if you're blocking the copper, right, and you're needing the copper to, to work as a sort of a detoxification mechanism for the toxins it's stirred up, and then you're getting headaches because toxins are in your brain, and then you eliminate the copper by taking the whole food C, you're blocking what you're trying to accomplish. So, you know, vitamin C itself also is a wonderful detoxification mechanism. It is often used even for snake bites. Uh, it's, it's just known as a detoxer. So if we're stirring up toxins by taking some copper, but not enough copper, we're going to want that vitamin C not only to convert it from copper two to copper one, but also to just work as another detoxification agent. And, you know, I don't know exactly why ascorbic acid works better than whole food. I just know that I experimented with whole food. It felt like it wasn't taking any vitamin C at all. We've had at least 25 people in the forum who've said, you're right, whole food C doesn't work, but the ascorbic acid does. And so, you know, when you get that kind of feedback, you just have to, I, I became, you know, in the beginning, I was like, I don't want to be telling everybody they're wrong. Let's just have a free market forum and everybody will share what works and what doesn't work. And so I didn't really make it an issue of it. I'm like, yeah, if they want to take whole food, who cares? No big deal. But there were too many instances of people taking the whole food C and then wondering why they're getting headaches and it not working. And anecdotally, you know, again, more and more people saying, well, why switch to ascorbic acid? I said, well, try ascorbic acid. It might work. That's what I'm taking. They try ascorbic acid. It all works. You don't always have to know why to know which is good to tell people to do. And I find that <laughs> kind of funny because I my whole book is about why, you know, so it's sometimes funny that um, we don't always know why. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I I think I really do think antidotes matter. And I, I was just like, you know, it's worth a shot because I just bought a smaller bottle. It's like 10 bucks for ascorbic acid or whatever. I'm like, you know, if it oh, doesn't exactly. work, I'll just go back to the Whole Foods C. And it worked sure. so much better. I'm like, I'm saving money by switching to ascorbic acid. Right. You know, the funny thing about the Whole Foods C is that, you know, um, the people probably went to Whole Foods C because most people being copper deficient, if you take ascorbic acid by itself, it's probably too strong and therefore it causes problems. So what I have noticed, there are people who jump over to the, um, they find this uh, copper deficiency forum. Okay. It's another copper group on Facebook. Um, but the people in that group have severe copper deficiency. They've been diagnosed by their doctors. And a very recurring theme I've seen what is I can't tolerate ascorbic acid at all. And I think the reason is the re reason why people can't tolerate it is they're copper deficient. And so out of that grew this lore that, well, whole food C doesn't have that problem, so it's therefore healthier. But that's not necessarily the right conclusion. The conclusion, the right conclusion is, you know, it doesn't work in copper deficiency. Once we fix our copper deficiency, well, then we should be able to tolerate ascorbic acid. And that is also exactly what we've seen. A lot of people are like, yeah, your protocol, Jason, scares me because I can't tolerate ascorbic acid at all. I said, well, don't worry about that. Just take copper for a week. At the end of the week, or if you get a headache, 
try ascorbic acid, it'll probably work just fine for you. And that's what we see time and time again. People who are scared of ascorbic acid, they take it after a week of taking copper and it's no problem. They're like, oh my God, it didn't give any allergic reactions at all. And the reason why it's not giving them allergic reactions is it's not inducing a copper deficiency. And in copper deficiency, people have allergic reactions. And one of the things copper does is it ends allergic reactions because copper helps us make three different antihistamines in the body. It helps make antihistaminase, helps make ceruloplasmin, which also acts as an antihistamine, and it makes adrenaline, which is found in EpiPens. So um, copper actually helps make dopamine, which is converted to uh, norepinephrine, which is then converted to epinephrine, which is adrenaline. Yeah, that's amazing. And I actually wanted to get into some of the allergic reaction stuff because um, mm. it seems that with uh, with the um, uh, the copper and the zinc coming in, uh, playing around with the doses and the ratios with that, um, I seem to, like you said, way less sneezing, way less food reactions, better bowel movements, um, definitely across the board there. Um, still can't tolerate tons of dairy, but like, you know, a lot of other food reactions I was having from having the Lyme disease um, definitely have gone wow. quite far away, you know? That's great. That's great. You know, a lot of people say that on our forum, they are down to like two and three foods because every food is causing an allergic reaction. Uh, another common allergic reaction problem. They call it mast cell activation syndrome. Uh, people have been healed from this, which is essentially an incurable disease by taking copper and zinc uh, together. And also selenium and vitamin C. All four of these are good antihistamines. Copper, zinc, selenium, and vitamin C. Just those four will, will help. Um, and what's so great about starting with copper is that a lot of people also can't tolerate iodine because iodine is also a very powerful detoxer. And sometimes when people are so toxic, they can't handle the stirring up of the toxins that has to happen before they get eliminated. So people who couldn't tolerate iodine or they had the problems that I had with iodine, you know, they developed, uh, you know, uh, uh, adrenal fatigue like I did. They can go and start on copper and in a couple months they can then tolerate iodines, which is why we on our protocol, we say, hey. Start with iodine and sulfur after two months, because, again, a lot of people who are mercury toxic can't tolerate sulfur, but they can after starting on the copper and getting their allergies under control. Yeah, I was actually pretty sensitive to the MSM sulfur in the beginning. I had to kind of cut the dose really low and I had a bunch of mercury fillings uh, growing up. So I'm sure there's that was part of my Lyme protocol, too. I wasn't it's super hard to test for that because they like store in your brain and everything. But I was, I was pretty sure I'm like, I, I think mercury's playing a big role in my immune function for sure. And I noticed that I was a little sensitive to the MSM and then now I can just do the, the teaspoon. No problem. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I mean, um, a lot of people, they don't know how to get out of these problems where they can tolerate eating eggs or onions or garlic or, or anything. And our, I, you know, I didn't know that our protocol was going to work that way until, uh, People had more experience with it. You know, we had people who were severely mercury toxic. They knew they were mercury toxic, you know, uh, allergic to everything. And uh, some of these people are now our moderators and their health went from being, you know, nearly uh, just non-functional uh, to um, now they are super posters and they post more than me in the forum. It's absolutely miraculous what has happened to so many people in the group by following our protocols you know and he, you know some people even they have trouble with the sulfur they think in copper sulfate or it just creates too much allergic reactions for them for whatever reason it's perfectly fine to start with a copper glycinate that has no sulfur at all it's just the glycinate's a bit more expensive and um 
you know, it's uh, it's about to, well, it's about 2,000 times more expensive because uh, you can spend about 60 bucks a month on copper glycinate. It's not going to break the bank, but, and that's what we did for the first three years on high copper, copper glycinate, just the normal pills that you can find. Um, but when we make our, you know, 1,000 milligrams in a bottle, if we can make it for about three cents worth of copper, you know, uh, five-eighths of a teaspoon in a uh, bottle of um, two ounces of liquid, it gets the price down so cheap that it's easy to take larger amounts and even apply it topically. You can't apply a pill uh, of copper glycinate type topically. So that's the other benefit of copper sulfate. And again, yeah, you don't have to start with copper sulfate. Start with copper glycinate if you need to. But and it's not a whole lot of sulfur. Yeah, but, you know, when you're allergic, things are, it's, it's weird. I have to touch on the amounts because they're shocking. You get about two twice the milligrams of sulfur as you do in, copper in copper sulfate. If you're taking 10 milligrams of uh, copper in the form of copper sulfur, you're getting 20 milligrams of sulfur. That seems like, well, that might be a problem. However, the MSM that you're taking, a full teaspoon, that has 8,000 milligrams of sulfur. Oh, <laughs> so wow. it's funny that 20 milligrams in a copper sulfate could cause problems for people, but you never know what's going to cause problems. The other thing is that the average person, we only have, you know, uh, 70 to 150, 200 milligrams of copper in the body. But the average person has a third of a pound of sulfur in the body. So sulfur shouldn't cause those kinds of problems. But for people who are sulfur deficient, if their sulfur detox pathways aren't even operating, or if there's mercury present, the slightest bit of sulfur can set off those allergic reactions. And um, so an easier way could be the copper uh, glycinate. And in fact, I just this morning edited my uh, document on um, how to detox mercury with copper to include that bit of information. Hey, it's perfectly fine to start with copper glycinate if you need to. That's actually where I start people uh, if I health coach them at all and I want them to take copper. Um, definitely with the glycinate, it's especially in the beginning, they're not really taking high doses. So it's really not as once you start getting up to the 20, 30 milligrams, it gets super annoying on buying the buying right. the bottles all the time. But um, when they're starting mm -hmm. off with like six milligrams or whatever, it's kind of super easy. I just tell them to spread yeah. it between the deck, you know, between like three doses or two or three doses within the day. So they don't get heavy also, detox reactions. Yeah. It's also easy in the beginning for people to take a standard pill that's manufactured mm -hmm. by somebody else. They just have a higher trust value in that. And um, a lot of people have difficulty making their own in the beginning. So, you know, I have sort of changed my protocol to sort of de-emphasize having to make it yourself because uh, I don't want that to be in the way. The other thing is you can get a copper glycinate pill from Amazon in one to two days, but if you want to order yourself a bag of copper sulfate, sometimes it takes two weeks and just that extra bit of time. I think I might rewrite, rewrite my uh, guide to say it's perfectly fine to start with copper glycinate. It's more expensive, but it's fat. It arrives faster typically. So yeah, there's benefits and drawbacks. I think, yeah, it, it seemed to be a little bit more gentle for some people, like you said, and maybe that is from the sulfur. So maybe it is just a good way to start getting the copper up. And then um, mm. if they want to start getting into higher doses and save the money, you can like I got that 10 pound bag and I haven't even put a dent in that thing. I know exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like it's there's still so much in there. It's insane. That, like I could probably that 10 pound pass bag it on to the next you 100 generation. years. It should last you 100 years. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We bought four of them just to be on the safe side. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a way to go. Yeah, that's cool. Um, do you recommend taking like any binders at all when people are detoxing? Um, they seem it's to help a common me quite word a bit. That comes up. It's a common word that comes up. Common question. Um, binders is weird as a word because it's so vague. Uh, there right. are so many different kinds of binders. 
Uh, it must be said that copper itself is a binder because it's a detox agent. So copper is a chelator of things like mercury because it binds to the mercury. It binds to fluoride. So copper is a binder. Um, uh, greens are a binder because green, leafy greens are plants. They absorb minerals from the soil. They also absorb a lot of the toxins in our bodies. And they contain other individual things that are binders like ALA is in spinach. Um, oxalates are in spinach, and they also bind to minerals. Uh, phytates are in plants, they bind to minerals. So there are a lot of binders out there. Activated charcoal is a binder. Um, I'm not a fan of activated charcoal, and the reason is it's burnt wood. Um, if you're going to eat something from the plant kingdom, you're better off eating the stems on your spinach leaves than eating burnt wood. Burnt wood is not a food. It's in your fireplace. Uh, let it stay there. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what it is about the health. I mean, just because it uh, binds to things doesn't necessarily mean it's good for us. Plants have at least a thousand nutrients that are, you know, good for us for a variety of reasons. I don't know how many nutrients are in burnt wood or activated charcoal. It just seems funny. There's other binders, too, like uh, diatomaceous earth. Uh, that's a good one. Um, it's mostly silica, but it's only about 50 percent silica. It has other minerals, too, like uh, calcium and magnesium and um, other things. Um, I really like diatomaceous earth. I don't like what are those uh, zeolites, which often contain aluminum and they don't detoxify very well. Again, copper itself is a great detoxer and a binder, probably one of the best ones uh, that I have ever found. So you really don't need to. I can't say yes or no to the question of should you use other binders. Um, there's just ones I do like and ones I don't like. I mean, even even plants will and can deplete copper. But I'd rather do plants than things like activated charcoal or zeolites. I don't like those two. Yeah. I always wonder if, uh, you know, because it's like when uh, a lot of these detox protocols, they are using the zeolites mostly. And if you, you get a good one, it's usually purified, but it's it's pretty expensive. Um, and I wonder, and, you know, the, the thought mechanism there is like you, the zeolites grab everything out of the body, but then you take the binder more towards the night so that when your liver dumps the bile at night, that they get trapped in the gut and they get escorted out. But I often wonder if the minerals just work in an entirely different way than the zeolites and that's more natural and that they just excrete it right out of the body without the binders. Well, see, um, things like the zeolites and the DE, they don't really absorb into the body very well. Um, they absorb toxins sort of directly into their little matrices, but you know, copper helps to make the helps the body make 15 at least other different detoxification enzymes like the metallothionine, superoxide dismutase and others that and even cerealoplasmin is a fantastic detoxifier that, um, you know, none of those enzymes are made by any of the other binders, if you shall, if we shall say, uh, who knows what the plants do. They they're very effective. Plants are actually, um, you know, if people take too many green smoothies, they can get dehydrated. Why? Because um, they're not only just dehydrating, but they're chelating. They uh, they remove so many salts. So if people are having and, and that's not always a bad thing. People have too much salt in the body that's causing swelling. You know, they need plants to help move things along and it will help them, you know, eliminate things like edema. Um, and also, uh, plants are great for clearing out the kidneys, um, because minerals can't, minerals and toxins can block up the kidneys. So one of the things that happens, not just with copper, but also boron and iodine, all three of those detox by fluoride. 
And if you detoxify fluoride too quickly, it can clog up the kidneys. So if you do a little bit of baking soda in water, like an eighth of a teaspoon or even a green smoothie, those will clean the fluoride out of the kidneys. And all of a sudden, when the kidneys are functioning better, then the edema goes away and kidney pain goes away. Um, and uh, this is how we know what works from trial and error and experience and reading in the forums about both iodine and, and boron. Sometimes people get kidney pain. They do either greens or, um, you know, the baking soda. They clear out their kidneys and the, the swelling and the pain goes away and they feel better again. Absolutely. And also just just fiber from plants, right? It's going to bind up stuff in the gut. I know a lot of people in the carnivore camp nowadays. I tried that for a while. I had nothing but diarrhea and didn't didn't feel that well. So oh. and I tried to add the honey and it just didn't go well for me. And so I'm like, I feel better eating, you know, whatever, some some plant sources and having the fiber coming in. And then my bowel movements are a lot better that way. And seem to be mm -hmm. just overall feel better with the, some form of just natural fiber. Right. Somebody asked me this week, should I be taking a fiber supplement? Well, too much fiber can block copper. But I said, look, you don't need to ever take a fiber supplement because you're going to take too much. Just eat an apple once a day, you know, <laughs> or add a piece of fruit to your diet. You know, there's no need to try to. I mean, you know, some people, they're like, what we need to do is juice our fruit so we can get rid of the fiber that's clogging up and creating all the problems. Well, and then there are other people who say, well, let's take our this dehydrated uh, food supplement. I mean, you know, whole food vitamin C is not the whole food. Okay, they've removed the water and they've removed the fiber. That's not a whole food. That is a concentrated <laughs> food extract, and it is not natural. So for all those people who like to think that they're doing things natural, I'm sorry, you're not. You know, uh, <laughs> just eat an apple. That's more natural, right? Um, but I'm, but look, I I'm not a fruitarian. I believe in eating meat. You know, um, Noah was told that he should start eating the animals. And the animal's flesh will be as meat for him. Uh, we eat a lot of beef. Um, beef is our number one protein, partly because uh, chicken is loaded with fluoride. And um, I know I'm getting off the topic here, but um, now go ahead. Chicken, chicken feed has chicken feed has 130 parts per million fluoride. And in context, that's so much water that has so much fluoride that can cause brain damage to us is 0 0.7 parts per million fluoride. So when chicken feed at 130 parts per million. That's off the charts damaging. So we know that fluoride also leads to causing things like uh, acne. We know from trial and experience uh, and uh, from reading people in the forum. And there's also a book called The Hidden Cause of Acne, and she traces it to uh, fluoride. When we ate chicken, just this, my wife and I, just um, at a Christmas dinner this year, we both got acne. We never get acne. I had one right on my chin here just the other day. And she also got one right on the chin in the same spot. And we're like, was that really from the chicken? Unbelievable. We thought, eh, it's not going to hurt us. We're on so much iodine and boron and copper. We're going to be fine. Unbelievable. We both got the acne. Yeah, that's amazing. And also just uh, beef, in my opinion, just so many vital amino acids and nutrients. And those all help to detoxify as well. People uh, trying to do, I did the vegan thing for a while. It felt even worse. And I just really believe that the the um, high protein and, you know, getting a good source of animal protein is really crucial to detox as well. Yeah, it really seems to be a mistake to go full carnivore or full vegan. Um, you know, we need a variety of diets. We, we need a variety of nutrients. I'm not just all advocating copper and not uh, we have again, we take 20 different nutrients um, and they're all available free online at the website. Uh, there's a within our quick start guide. There's a link in there at the end that says the vitamins and minerals we are taking. 
Uh, it's a very important document. You just can't start there. You can't start with 20. It's overwhelming to people. But, you know, as you start with copper and your zinc and your vitamin C and you work through some uh, initial cleansing, you can add more and more things and slowly educate yourself as you're getting healthier and doing more things. You're like, you know, it's like copper. I, I like to say is the, our gateway mineral, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like if they say like a uh, cigarette smoking is the gateway mineral to the pot and the gateway mineral, to the heavier drugs, copper is the gateway mineral to the heavier minerals like iodine. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So it's what it is, is, you know, the soils are so depleted that, you can have a great diet and you still not get well. And that's where I was at for a long time. And so um, I definitely had to use a lot of these different minerals and herbs along my healing path. So the problem, people just think, oh, just eat a whole foods diet and you'll be great. It's like, yeah, a hundred years ago before we were three, four generations into industrialization and toxin exposure everywhere. Like the amount of toxins we're exposed to nowadays is just insane. You can't even keep up with it. That's right. That's right. Um, and even molybdenum is a great detoxifier. I learned more about molybdenum regularly. Well, the thing, thing that I, I really was shocked to learn was that it helps to detoxify the mycotoxins that are released when mold is killed. And um, the mycotoxins that are released when mold is killed are often responsible for joint pain. So molybdenum relieves joint pain. And uh, I was like, well, let's step up the molybdenum a little bit, uh, see how it works. And sure enough, I had just little, you almost don't notice joint pain sometimes until they're totally gone. And then you're like, oh, my God, I feel so much better. Wow. That's sure enough. That's exactly what happened to me in the gym just by stepping up my molybdenum a little bit. I, I was yeah. taking it like once a week or once uh, once or twice a month only because uh, I didn't really notice very much, but I decided to step it up and see if I could notice a change. And I, sure enough, I did. It, just like when I first started molybdenum, probably about four years ago, I was taking it daily and I noticed, oh, my joints feel so much better. I got that same sort of a situation again this last, oh, this last uh, two months ago. I stepped it up and yeah, wow. That's funny because I was taking it just like a few times a week as well. And then after you stepped it up, I was like, well, it's already here. Let me try it. And I like it too. <laughs> I've been, I think that it's a pretty good addition to the protocol for sure. You know, um, some people are like, well, I'm fighting candida and fighting mold. The reality is that all of us have mold in our bodies at all times. It's just a matter of whether it's in control or whether it's getting out of control. So we're all, all killing a little bit of mold in our body all the time. So we all have a little bit of mycotoxins in body at all times. So by just being able to better detoxify it, we're going to feel better. So that's interesting. And I live in Florida, so I'm exposed to mold. Oh, yeah. Almost every building I walk into or whatever, like there's really no getting around it for me. All so right. So you should to... be probably taking your molybdenum daily. Yeah, I am. And I lived in a moldy house for a while. And that was when I first got super sick. I think I was just the I was in Florida. It's all moldy everywhere. Even the concrete outside is continuously moldy. It's weird. It's insane. I, I, I won't move into a place anymore without getting it uh, super inspected for mold. Every single house after that, I had to throw away like everything I own because they say don't wow. travel with it. And we had to rebuy oh, everything. It was it was that's it was traumatizing terrible. to lose everything you've owned. Very traumatizing. Wow, wow. All the books you own, you got to rebuy books yeah. if you really oh, love no. them. And just, right. you, know, you can't take any paper or any like porous material with you because it'll just come to the new place. So, look, I, I started this interview saying I went through quite a bit of trauma. And I know that copper has helped me deal with the trauma and get my brain back. Are you feeling the same thing? Like your your powers of focus and concentration are significantly better and you're not distracted by former traumas? 
Absolutely. I just feel more at peace with even when things do go the wrong way, you know? Yes, yes. More at you peace. Know, shit right. still happens. It's not like the right. mold was the only traumatizing thing that's ever going to happen to me. That's shit right. still happens, and uh, I just feel more at peace with it and, you know, kind of just what, let it go easier. I'll tell you what happened to me about a year ago. I have a dog, and uh, it's a service dog that I got to help deal with uh, some traumas that I had back. And I was on copper for about two years, but I it was before I had done topical copper and stuff. And um, she never makes mistakes in terms of like uh, uh, going to the bathroom in the wrong place. Uh, we were doing errands though, and she had already pooped like four times that morning, so I was sure she was done. Um, but we, you know, we left one store, and I was walking with my wife, and I wasn't quite paying attention to the dog's needs as much. And the dog was pulling on the leash, and sometimes that's an indication that the dog needs to go. Well, we left her. Home Depot or wherever, and then we went into Staples, and um, Sunny pooped on the carpet. And normally you're going to want to, you know, discipline the dog when that happens and give him a whack on the nose or whatever. But I was instantaneously, oh my God, this is my fault. I'm so sorry. Sunny must be feeling awful. She's she didn't poop on the carpet because she was stupid or being rebellious. She didn't need a smack on the nose. I just needed to clean it up and take her outside. And I wasn't even angry at all, like you would think you would normally be in a situation because, oh, although it's inconvenience and embarrassing, my dog was not stupid. My dog was in pain. And, you know, I, I knew all that. Right. And so I reacted with this extra level of patience that maybe my old self would not have had. And I I found introspectively that that was very awesome. And unusual, and I have to attribute it to copper, giving me these extra layers of brain power that I wouldn't otherwise have had. Absolutely. I think that we are pretty fogged and people don't realize that the parasitic uh, load, the bacterial load, the toxin load, that isn't just like making you tired. It affects how you react to things. You become very right. short tempered. You can't right. handle stress as well. So as right. like in my opinion that. Uh, a lot of these, yeah, copper is shown to be beneficial for a lot of things, but the detox portion of it is where a lot of the healing comes from. When you get Absolutely. rid of a lot of that stuff and you're just a clean vessel, then right. it's like, okay, now you can handle stressful foods, stressful situations. You're more empathetic just because your brain is more balanced and you just, you sleep better. I mean, everything starts Ooh. to build up over time as you make incremental changes and get a little bit better and i think a lot of it, people don't realize that they're just filled with this fluoride filled with these heavy metals they're super mineral deficient and nutrient deficient because of you know western american diet and it's just a it just adds up and then they can't control their emotions what's interesting about people in the forum is every now and then people will say i'm afraid to start copper because i'm afraid of the detox because you know it's not always super pleasant you know it sucks poop more or they might get rashes or something, or, you know, you might get sneezing or you might develop the common cold. I mean, the, but the vast majority of the symptoms are relatively benign and coming out on the other side of it is so worth it. You just said it sucks. So, you know, the detoxification sucks. So why don't you talk about maybe some of your detoxification difficulties in the beginning? Because for me, when I started, it was relatively smooth sailing because for me, I added copper last after I had done all this other detoxing work with all these other minerals. And so for me, copper was simply nothing but a wonderful breath of fresh air. And I didn't go through copper induced detox like a lot of other people did. I almost had instantaneously 
higher energy, clarity of mind, better results in the gym, better sleep. It was just, I mean, it was like a miracle for me because it was like the last missing piece of my puzzle. So tell me a little bit about your detox. For so I'm a little bit of a special case. Um, I grew up oh, with a lot of immu immunological symptoms that, um, you know, lots of ear infections, ear surgeries, would get fungal rashes on my face. You know, I just had all these like, I, my mom had to switch laundry detergents a bunch of times because I would react and break out in rashes. So I think I started off somewhat toxic and immunological deficient you know, having issues, but just kind of never affected me. I still played sports, was athletic, was strong, you know, and then as I got older and I partied a lot, it would start to get worse and then I'd get tired. And then now I'm popping pills to help with the, the joint pain and drinking a lot and smoking a lot of cannabis because it was legal in Michigan. So I think I kind of was masking the symptoms for a long time until I kind of moved to Florida. I was like, I'm going to sober up. And then I was like, man, I'm really not feeling well. And then we were living in that moldy house. So I had the mold, the lime, the metals. Mold, lime, so yeah. So, I mean, I just, I had a slurry of things and just a lifelong uh, immune deficiency, I believe. But um, yeah, I just really brain fog and fatigue as I detox, right. especially because I, I pushed it. And I pushed it in the beginning because I was like, whatever, mm. I'm, he's taking 70 to 100 milligrams. I'll get up to that in like a month, you know? And so right. I was doing a topical and doing everything. And now I'm back down to just doing 30 because I'm like, whatever, it's, it's really a marathon, not a race. And right, maybe right. I'll bump back up to those. But brain fog and fatigue were the worst two, you know, just kind of have like a, a little spacey, like ADHD. You go down to, uh, like today, I didn't take, the, I don't take the copper before my interviews because it, it can still make me a tad spacey. And, and I've been doing it since the spring. So I do think okay. that, um, you know, it can take time if you're really, really toxic. So I don't want people to, some people will get great, be, have great results in a month or two months. You'll see it in the forum. They're just like, not really that toxic, maybe a little deficient. Right. But if you do have lime or something, the mercury is probably the biggest, I would say. And I think that's what I had where you have the toughest time, the toughest challenge. And I had a lot of mercury fillings growing up, so I do believe. And they were all removed the wrong way. I had eight mercury fillings, too. I still have two gold-capped teeth up in the top. I don't know if you uh, can see them in the video. Uh, They're all the way in the back. Yeah, I had one back there, um, too. Underneath my gold-capped teeth, I have two of them. There might still be some uh, mercury filling in there. I'm not exactly sure. But um, so people ask us, well, do I have to have my mercury fillings removed before I get started? And this is not the Andy Cutler chelation protocol that does not work. So no, you don't have to do that. Our the protocol works so well, you don't have to get them removed. And that's you know, I, a lot of people. I have a girl right it. now that's got them still in. She's looking to get them removed. She was supposed to go last month or this month. One of my coaching mm -hmm. clients. I can't remember mm -hmm. if she went for sure. It's been the holidays and stuff. But um, uh, she was starting on the protocol and she was fine. She actually had like a yeast reaction. Some. Some old flare-ups on her hands were coming up. I'm like, it's just detox, and it's going to try to heal some old wounds. So, right. you know, just is push through that. Selenium? Is she taking the selenium? And I got her on pretty much the oh. whole protocol. Yeah. Oh, great, great, great. Magnesium, selenium, vitamin C, all the zinc, all the things. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, I think I have you, on everything you, besides the iodine. Yeah, and are you on the boron? And uh, you said you're on the sulfur. Yeah, I'm on so the borax. On the I, do, I do everything. Um, I think it's like an eighth of a teaspoon or something. That's it? That's it? Okay. Yeah. So, and what about chromium yeah. and vanadium? Are you taking those on occasion? I haven't had, I haven't experimented with either of those. Okay, so they're kind of on the protocol, but very, very, very all the way to the end. Those mm -hmm. help with a little bit of blood sugar regulation. Um, what? But else? my blood sugar um, regulation is amazing, by the way. Actually, oh, okay. used to have 
used to have crazy blood sugar swings when I would have carbs, and now I'm pretty solid, yeah. honestly. Iodine and copper and even B12 are great for that. And yeah. even potassium, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, overall, I feel pretty good. I mean, I'm good enough to do this podcast for a couple hours. I wouldn't have done that last year for sure. Wow, that's that's a tremendous, tremendous change. That's fantastic. Yeah. Good for, you, been, good for you. C60s helped me a lot, which is a more of an expensive supplement, and it's uh it's, I'm a little wary for... of the C60. I've looked into it a little bit. I'm I'm wondering why we need it because we're carbon-based life forms, and if it's carbon, why would we need it? Um, and then does it block copper? I don't know. It just seems strange to me. Yeah, I, there's like a special blend that's super expensive. A guy I'm going to interview, he's got like serapeptase in there and PQQ, and he helps a lot of people who have Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff with it and has pretty good mm -hmm. results. Like one patient I know cured his Alzheimer's in like 12 weeks with just the C60. Wow. So it's, it's it's actually been uh, pretty potent, and I've actually enjoyed it. So, so the, I'm new to it, too. I assume then it's acting as a detoxer then? There, yeah, it's, well, it's it's a it's boosting mitochondrial function from the other stuff that he has in there. The serapeptase is going to break down uh, what he may believe that I have is like some of uh, it could not just be heavy metals that I'm dealing with. It could be like leftover like uh, denatured proteins and plaques from the Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. So uh, the serapeptase acts on that. And then the C60 is a good binder because it actually doesn't grab onto minerals like the charcoal will. So and it's uh, it actually can pass the blood brain barrier. So if you have some of these toxins in your okay. brain, it can get rid of them. So I've, I've actually found some pretty good results with that, but it's expensive. Okay. Um, I have a slight warning about serapeptase and that it's, uh, what does it come from? Like silkworms and it's used to break down fibers, right? And so often to people who have fibrous tumors or fi fibrins happening, uh, they'll take uh, serapeptase to help uh, break down fibers. But it actually breaks down also a lot of our tissues. So one of the side effects of it is it can cause bleeding. Uh, now, since one of my own problems was I had a bleeding, a genetic bleeding disorder and I've had nosebleeds, for me, serapeptase is probably not the best. But since serapeptase is one of those things that generally take, generally breaks down fibers and breaks down collagen, it's kind of the opposite of what we do with copper, which copper, zinc, and vitamin C all help to create collagen. And I don't really think the body has trouble breaking down anything what we really want is the, the body to make things stronger, almost universally speaking. Um, there's another hormone that breaks down the body, and it's called cortisol. And mostly bodybuilders want to avoid and limit cortisol as much as possible. Cortisol has its place. For example, when we're fasting, if we want any energy at all while we don't have any food, the only source of energy is to break down our own body tissues. So our body will secrete cortisol when we are fasting to break down the body tissues so that we can consume our own flesh for energy. That is the good side. The bad side is when people take cortisol in the presence of blood sugar, you're trying to break down your tissues and tell your body to stop using glucose for energy. And then fungals will run rampant, consuming the dead tissue and feed off the sugars at the same time. And so cortisol has a side effect of causing infections. And I know this because uh, this is how the medical establishment wrecked me is they, they prescribed me a hydrocortisone cream for my feet to stop a foot fungus when I, between the ages of 13 and 18. And it left me with um, degenerative back condition and lifelong um, arthritis in my back, which I've mostly overcome within the last five years on copper. So serapeptase being like cortisol, being a thing that breaks down the body tissues 
Just don't overdo it. Take it for the short term that you need. Don't consider it a long-term supplement. You know, I, mm. I did the cortisol cream for five years and had horrific problems. You don't want to be continually breaking the body down. I mean, that's what that's what exercise does. It can break the body down, but you know, exercise has a hundred positive benefits. I'm very leery about therapeptase. Interesting. I, um, I'm in contact. Like I can just text the guy who makes the product. Um, cause I'm going to have him on the show and, uh, I know him through a mutual friend. So I want to, I'm going to pick his brain and see if he's ever heard of anything like that or what he thinks about that. Generally speaking, people who are selling products are not going to diss their own products in any way, shape or form. And it's a very, one of those popular things out there. But if you just look up and Google serpeptase dangers, serpeptase side effects, uh, you'll see what I'm saying is out there. Cool. I'll look into that. Definitely. Um, so let's jump back onto copper. One thing I really okay. wanted to touch on, cause this has helped me quite a bit is what have you seen with people who are, uh, putting the copper in their coffee enemas? Um, I haven't tried that yet. I've thought about doing it. Um, they seem to love it in the forum because sometimes when people are detoxifying heavily, their colons fill up or sometimes people get constipated. Um, you know, copper does tend to relieve constipation. So if you just take enough, you could take enough copper, uh, to the point where you're having, you know, very, uh, effective bowel movements. And there's several reasons for this because copper itself acts as an electrolyte, which helps to hold on to water. Copper comes out through the bile. So it comes out through mostly in the feces. So copper is there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're constipated, anything is going that is going to help relieve that, such as an enema, whether it has copper in it or not, is going to be very cleansing. Um, even when I was back when I was 18, I discovered people who advocated juice fasting. Their argument was, look, if you're fasting, you're going to release so many toxins. What you want to do is help to bind up those toxins. So if you're having at least some juice, uh, that will help give you some nutrients that will help to... Uh, detoxify the toxins that are released while you're fasting. So juice fasting was seen as a healthier way to than just fasting normally. You know, sometimes yeah, I tried people some get of those messed back up. in the day. Yeah, and sometimes people get messed up just from fasting because they have so much toxic backload that they just they're not eliminating it fast enough. So yeah, I think they have their place, you know, enemas. But enemas are enemas are weird because people can get addicted to them and then their bowels don't work as effectively. Their bowels can stop. However, copper helps that problem because copper helps us make ATP for energy and we need ATP for energy for muscle contractions. And so with more copper, we are, are more powerful in the gym. Uh, you have muscle contractions and peristalsis in the intestines, which help relieve constipation. And here's the other thing. Women on their periods need muscle contractions in their uterus. And these muscle contractions, when you're copper deficient, are very painful. And a lot of the pain of all these contractions goes away when women start copper. And in fact, their periods often drop from, you know, 10 days, seven days down to three days or less because they're clotting blood effectively because they're no longer copper deficient. So it's very interesting how copper fixes women's periods on a wide variety of ways. Wow, that's amazing. And I just want to give kind of my background story on the copper coffee enema since we've uh, on that subject as well is, to be honest, I was on the protocol for a long time and I didn't notice any like removal of parasites. But then once I started putting it in the enema, I started oh. removing lots of big parasites. It wouldn't, wow. to be honest, it wouldn't even be, I couldn't see it 
when the enema was released because it's kind of dark and black from the coffee and the bowels. So it's like hard to even see in there anyways. But then like the next morning, there would be these big, giant, like dead, clear worms, white, foamy looking. I mean, long, I mean, big, like very, very noticeable ones that I was like, wow. And I've been on the protocol for a while. So that was an interesting. I don't know if it's because when we're digesting it through liquid, like when we're drinking it, it's got filtered by the liver and maybe just the coffee enema just kind of comes in the back way and it's unexpected for them. Or I know that, uh, maybe the, some parasites like to live in your liver in the bile because that's where the toxins are. And maybe it's getting directly to those that are kind of living where your liver's at. I don't really know, but I know that for months as I was doing the copper coffee enemas, I was expelling parasites. Well, it's very interesting. You know, you had a background with Lyme disease and some mercury toxicity. And uh, one of the things we know what worms do in the soil is that they render toxic minerals like mercury far less toxic. They bind it up to something and they, they literally eat everything, right? These worms. So if worms render mercury less toxic in the soil, you can imagine that they would probably also do that in the body and that thus in some sense are not exactly negative parasites, but helpful parasites in the event of mercury toxicity. But once you're able to successfully eliminate your mercury with copper, the parasites no longer have a need to be there um and for whatever reason you know copper also just kills them right i mean it's just what it is and what it does so it's it's very you know it's just very interesting to me that there's a possibility those parasites were there for a reason and no longer have a reason to be there no i'm totally in agreement so i think a lot of this stuff i know you've touched on the mold subject and the parasites that i think that there's potential that they're there because of the heavy metal toxicity i think that's the underlying issue with most people honestly Right. Also, you know, what what does mold do? It lives in the soil and it helps to break down and decay things. So if our body tissues are breaking down frequently because they're being, you know, killed, killed, literally killed by the presence of heavy metals, the mold has to be there for a purpose, just like cortisol has to be there for a purpose. In fact, you know, really, you know how where they get cortisol from? They harvest it from mold that grows it. So mold <laughs> uses cortisol to destroy and break down and decay things. So, again, if our cells are dying rapidly, then we're going to have mold. If our cells are not dying rapidly, there's no need for the mold to be there. So while copper does kill mold, it also relieve. you know, we're pro- our cells, if they're clean, are not dying as fast. And then there's less of a need for the mold to be there. Yeah. And I, there's, I mean, there's plenty of um, people who say, you know, like a family lives in a moldy house and then only one person's affected or two. And a lot of them break it down to genetics. And I'm just wondering if it's really just the each individual's toxin exposure, you know, there's a difference in that. But and in, in the genetics may not even be at play at all. Yeah, I think a lot of things these days are blamed on genetics that um, shouldn't be. Uh, you know, even the uh, MTHFR genetic problem that's bandied around out there. Um, our genes change. Uh, copper makes our genes change. Our genes have to change in copper deficiency for a reason, for a purpose. I wrote an article about this. I said copper fixes broken genes. But I put fixes in quotes and I put broken in quotes. And the reason is that without copper, we die. So we don't want us to die fast too fast so god has somehow made our bodies so that in copper deficiency we have to stop making those enzymes that would excrete that copper 
Our bodies in copper deficiency have to hold on to the copper because it's so vital. We have to have copper in our mitochondria to live, breathe, make energy, convert oxygen to energy. You know, if, if our bodies excreted that copper, we would be done. So various systems start shutting down in copper deficiency to prevent the loss of copper. It has to be that way. And those changes happen on the genes. But then our genes can turn back on because actually we're our, how does our body even make enzymes? They're made at the genetic level. They're made on the genes. Genes plus precious metals make enzymes that work. And it's so funny because the researchers have found that in copper deficiency, we still have the same amount of like superoxide dismutase and metallothionine. It's just that they don't work. <laughs> so it could be <laughs> the way that they work is by, you know, taking copper out and removing copper or copper in the presence or in the presence of more ATP, they start working. Um, but, you know, uh, you could just imagine that you cannot use copper and excrete copper very fast in copper deficiency because then you'd lose all of it and then you'd be in real trouble. So our genes change dramatically when we have more copper available. And it's not just like that with copper, it's like that with all the minerals. So Yes, there might be genetic things that can be detected, but it does not mean that it's inherited just because it's on the genes. It could very well be that you don't have enough copper for your genes to be turned on correctly. In fact, we even know from bodybuilding that two-thirds of the genes of a person's body will change just from bodybuilding alone. So just because it's genetic, wow. again, does not mean it's inherited. It does not mean it's non-changeable. You can change your genes. I think so too. And I think genes are probably cool to look and maybe see uh, what you could use to maybe supplement and do it. But I also think that the biggest role is the epigenetics, which is, you know, diet, lifestyle, nutrition, you know, mineral status, all that type of stuff it plays a bigger role than just the genes themselves. The trouble is that those people who are running all those genetic tests don't know anything about copper. And so they're not going to tell you, oh, well, you have this gene, therefore you should take copper. It's almost universally the opposite. They will say, well, you have this genetic disorder, so therefore copper is going to be bad for you, which is crazy because there's no genetic disorder that's going to create copper in your body. <laughs> and there's no genetic disorder that's going to allow you to use copper more efficiently. So with almost every single genetic disorder or abnormality, you're going to need more copper and not less. And there's only one genetic disorder where they say theoretically it's on the genes and it causes Wilson's disease. But even in Wilson's disease, they have numerous symptoms of copper deficiency, and it could very well be that people with Wilson's need more copper. I went into a Wilson's disease forum, explained them this concept, and um, they were universally incapable of understanding. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I haven't looked into the Wilson's so, so much. I read it in your book and seen it a little bit in the forum, but I don't know too much about it. I had to address it because almost every single article about there on copper – mentions Wilson's disease, but yeah, it is what it is. I think it's one of those deceptions where they had to create a situation where copper could be toxic in order for them to scare people away from it. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. So are there, um, we've touched on quite a few of the benefits of copper. Is there some, anything that we're leaving out here as far as uh, benefits? And then we talked about the heart, a um, little bit about the hormones and thyroid. You didn't touch on it too much. And then uh, just quite a few other things. Anything we left out? Well, I have found, and I mentioned it briefly, that you can take copper to bowel tolerance. You know, um, people say this about uh, magnesium and vitamin C. 
uh, and even salt. You could take all three of those things until you have, uh, you know, even with salt, you can have liquid running right through your bowels. But the, but the issue is that if you do that, you end up running through your electrolytes. So if you're taking copper to the point where you're having liquid stools, you're not absorbing any and more is excreting than you're getting. So that's the point at which you either need to back off or start taking some zinc. Zinc should stop the loose bowel problem. And, uh, you know, you really don't want to take to the point where that's happening all the time. I, I, I did it one time where I had loose uh, stools for at least a week. Uh, and then I said, no, nah, it's time for me to back off and um, uh, take more zinc and uh, take less copper again. Yeah, that that's makes a lot of sense. Around 50 milligrams orally of copper. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so where does someone start? What's like the minimum effective dose? And how do you uh, expect someone to start off on your protocol? So, again, we've had uh, numerous people start at three and two and one milligrams of copper. And almost universally, they have horrible detoxification symptoms. Uh, they never seem to get past it. Uh, they end up with headaches. It's almost like it's not enough to turn uh, the copper detoxification enzymes on. And in a lot of the research studies that I have read, they say over and over again that uh, people are unable to overcome copper deficiency on 2.6 milligrams of copper, say, or 4 milligrams of copper. Um, and so if you can't get over copper deficiency within a reasonable time frame, you're just creating endless misery. And if you just look at the math, like how are you going to use four milligrams of copper a day to detoxify 2,600 milligrams of fluoride? And really you need two milligrams of copper to detox one milligram of fluoride. So we have to take in about 5,000 milligrams of copper just to get through the fluoride detox. And that's literally never going to happen, not in about 10 years at three milligrams. So you end up you end up with sort of a perpetual never ending misery on two to three milligrams. So I tell people, look, start with five milligrams because we have actually had good results with people on five milligrams. Five milligrams of copper is enough to start killing parasites in some people. So, you know, that's an effective, positive, big health change. And usually when people start at five, they try to graduate and move on to 10 and 20 milligrams. So, um, you know, historically, if people got five, why do we need more? We need more because we're playing catch up. We haven't had five milligrams every single day for our entire lives. Um, and again, you know, you shouldn't be afraid of starting at five. If people got five milligrams regularly in their diets 70 years ago, that's what our ancestors got. But also what happens in copper deficiency over generations is that we begin to lose our ability to utilize copper. So maybe we need more copper then historically in order to turn all of our uh, copper functioning genes and enzymes back on. So start with five, work up to uh, 10 milligrams within about uh, a month if you can. And again, take it with uh, twice as much zinc and with 100 milligrams of vitamin C. So your zinc to vitamin you C ratio thousand milligrams be roughly, yeah, a thousand milligrams of vitamin C in form of acrobic acid like we talked about. So those are the three things to start with, if you have any sort of mercury toxicity, you need to add some selenium. Uh, and that's really about it for starting. Um, what's funny is that vitamin C does not have to scale up. And that is because, you know, once you get to, you know, my level, or I've been on it for four years, right? Um, I'm not detoxifying as fast. So a thousand milligrams is fine for me. When you're detoxifying, you actually might need a bit more. Uh, but, you know, you don't really need more when you're only at five. So, you know, uh, 
you're, you're at, you know, 2000 milligrams of vitamin C, that seems good. But, you know, after your initial detox, you probably won't need that much. And you probably don't want to nece- necessarily take so much that you're blocking your copper. So, uh, you know, eventually you'll, you might be able to scale back your vitamin C. You know, I, I like to take the minimum effective dose. But for copper, for me, the minimum effective dose is about 30 plus 70, 30 milligrams plus 70 milligrams topically. That's what works, you know, and I try to move it up higher, but that doesn't work because then I hit the bowel tolerance problem. So. Cool. And do you, uh, what about like B vitamins? Are you still taking that or is that still kind of just a couple times a week? I know you, I think that it could maybe deplete some B vitamins at the high doses. So you recommend That's right. that? That's right. Uh, so we think copper can deplete niacin. So if I don't take niacin for about three weeks, I'll develop a little bit of a rash around my neck and it will be this just a little bit of an itchy in there. I also have a broken collarbone. So maybe there's extra toxins in the broken area that come out. My skin there gets a little itchy. Um, so 500 milligrams of niacin daily seems like too much. Um, but I'm taking the B vitamins individually. And if I'm taking them individually, I like to take the, the high dose ones. Um, if you take a typical B complex, it has typically like a B50 or B100 has 50 milligrams or 100 milligrams of um, niacin. Uh, but mine's a 500. But I take it in the niacinamide form so it doesn't make me get uh, flushed. Um, I take all the B vitamins separately because I want to avoid B6 and I want to avoid B9. B6 and B9 are nerve toxins. You know, the B vitamins are supposed to be mostly nerve healers. But B6 over 100 milligrams can be nerve toxic. And even um, Great Britain lowered the upper limit on B6 down to 10 milligrams. You know, it's funny if B6 is nerve toxin and yet they include it at, at 50 milligrams in a, in a typical B vitamin. Why are we taking a nerve toxin at 50 milligrams, but everybody's scared to death of copper at 50 milligrams? It makes no sense. So we shouldn't be taking it. And B9 is worse because it is a nerve toxin at one milligram um, causing mental retardation and cognitive disabilities in children born to mothers who were taking it during pregnancy. This is folate which is advocated for pregnant women. So, you know, we might very well have a lot of disinformation out there on purpose because we know they're hurting us with fluoride. So, you know, maybe they've thrown in those B vitamins intentionally to harm us. The other issue is that there are a full 17 B vitamins that were once thought to be B vitamins but are no longer considered B vitamins. And so B6 and B9 appear to me to fall into those categories because they don't heal any diseases. You can't scale them up, and they cause problems even at the doses at which they are found in B, uh, B-complex vitamins. So it's better to avoid them. And then the other problem with B-complex vitamins is they never include enough B12. Uh, very often you'll have like 1.6 milligrams of B12, but they sell B12 vitamins in, I'm sorry, 1.6 micrograms, but they sell B12 vitamins in 1,000 to 5,000 micrograms. And those are the effective doses looked at in the research. So why are they only putting... 1.6 micrograms in the B complex. The other thing is, if the B complexes can contain these nerve toxins that can only be countered with a B12, why aren't they including the B12? It's like, are they trying to hurt us? You got to be kidding me, people. <laughs> so I used to solve the problem by only by including a B complex plus a B12. But now with my further education, both from feedback in the group and a lot of people saying how they were harmed by B vitamins. I am more confident to say I don't need B6 and I don't need B9. 
The other reasons we don't need B6 and B9 is because deficiencies are extremely rare and you can't avoid B6 and B9 because they're ubiquitous in the food supply. So if they're everywhere and you can't avoid them and there's no deficiency that ever happens in you know, modern America because we're never starving to death, then what in the heck are we taking these B these toxins for in the first place? Um, it could very well be that they're not essential, but they're only ubiquitous or everywhere, or that they're metabolites or toxic metabolites. You know, uh, poop is everywhere. It's in every animal, but we don't eat poop, right? Could be that B6 and B9 are just simply poop or the equivalent, so we don't need them. Um, I mean, you can't avoid poop. You know, it's surprisingly enough, if you go to a slaughterhouse, you cannot cut open a cow without there being intestines and some poop flowing and touching the meat. This is why we wash the meat and it's why we cook it, so that if it does get contaminated by fecal matter, we kill the bacteria. I'm also less scared of bacteria these days because, hey, I've got copper and iodine and those things kill all the germs. So, you know, we're good to go. Um, I know this is a big, long, complex answer, but it's funny because... <laughs> <laughs> B12 is sourced um, in, uh, I think it's sourced in fecal matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I guess you just got to get over, at least it's capsule form, so you just swallow it down. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess there's a, a potential possible way we could get um, cobalt, because B12 is actually methyl cobalamin. We could take a cobalt sulfate supplement, but I've looked into that and sometimes it can cause organ damage. And so uh, I decided to not advocate that and not take it and just just take the standard B12. My views may change in the future. I never know. But um, that's where I'm at right now. So yeah, I the vitamins that I do take are B1, B2, B1, B2, B3, um, B5, B7 and B12, just those six. And I take them for the, the highest doses I can find in individual bottles. It's six, six bottles. And yeah, right. I take it about every two to three days. Okay, so because, you're spacing again, it out. One B five hundred is the equivalent of ten days of what you would find in a uh, standard uh, uh, B complex. So wow. I, I was still getting a lot by taking them every three days. Awesome, makes a lot of sense. It's cool. I take mine mostly with beef liver. I love just having the full array there and kind of more natural mm -hmm. and i seem to do pretty good on that and i think there's a lot of like peptides and amino acids in there as well that kind of help okay. you know that we still need to uh figure out exactly organ meats contain a lot of more things than just vitamins you know there's a lot right. going on in there um but awesome i know you're always kind of researching and uh developing and being open-minded have you changed your mind about anything since you write in the book Right. So there's about seven things we changed our mind in the last year. Um, number one, we learned that we don't need as much magnesium as we thought we did um, because both copper and um, boron um, help us retain magnesium in the body. So instead of trying to gulp down 400 milligrams to 800 milligrams of magnesium, we really only need either 100 milligrams or less. And about eight months ago, we decided to not take any and we were waiting for the muscle cramps to set in, and they never did. So we're like, hey, this is fantastic. We, we can get by with taking none. And look, taking none is vastly different than getting none because magnesium is actually in the food supply. So it's not like we're not getting any. Magnesium is good. And if we're detoxing, we might need more. But we who have already gone through detox, and because we're already on high boron, because we're already on high copper, and again, hey, beginners are not there. Like if you're coming from the Morley protocol, you're not on. It takes a while to scale up those two things and to get them all down. In the beginning, you might need more magnesium while you're detoxifying. 
Uh, we're not supplementing B6 and B9, but again, doesn't mean we're not getting any. We're getting plenty in our diets. Nobody has ever really deficient in those. Um, oh my gosh, I'm running off my memory here. Um, the other big change is uh, we eliminated vitamin A as not just as a supplement, but we're also lowering vitamin A foods like sweet potatoes and things because vitamin A is one of those things that um, uh, Grant Genero identified as purely a toxin. The original vitamin A studies done in the 1920s, 1925, actually included high retinol in the studies. And retinol creates a degeneration in the body, creates osteoporosis, creates all sorts of allergies and rashes and autoimmune conditions. Um, uh, you know, uh, retinol is actually retinoic acid, so it's like an acid. And the body will actually leach calcium from the bones to buffer the acid of vitamin A. And the original studies contained lard. Well, what, where's vitamin A stored? Stored in the liver and in, the, and in fats. So in animal fats, in lard... There's lots of vitamin A. So the original, again, the original vitamin A depletion diets were loaded with retinol, which is why they degenerated so quickly. And they they call all that degeneration symptoms of vitamin A deficiency. But if you look at the vitamin A, they, they claim that it causes the same problems for deficiency as toxicity. So they almost renamed toxicity as deficiency. Kind of sounds like what's going on with copper. Um, so vitamin A might not be a nutrient at all. So we eliminated vitamin A and a lot of our little rashes disappeared and it seemed to take our health up to the next level. It's been a lot nicer. Um, so that's four things. What else? We've increased our molybdenum lately, uh, which is great because uh, it helps to detoxify um, mycotoxins and other things. Uh, it helps to keep the sulfur pathways open. Um, and theoretically, too much copper can deplete a little bit of magnesium. Uh, we always took it a little bit. We're taking a little bit more diligently. So that's another change. Um, and we are also taking colloidal gold. That's an, uh, the sixth change. Colloidal gold's a little bit expensive, but it's a great nutrient. I took some before the show. Keeps the brain sharp. You can look and see what colloidal gold does that it keeps the brain sharp. If you look at the um, feedback. Uh, and Amazon on the product Meso Gold, colloidal gold sold at the Amazon. It's just, it's, it's amazing what you can find on the internet these days well, with customers telling what, telling you what the product actually does because they're not necessarily from the manufacturer. There are thousands of testimonies about Meso Gold, how good it is for the brain. One lady in our forum gave it to artistic, her autistic son and he became verbal again. Very powerful stuff. Probably half of our entire supplement budget goes just to colloidal gold. It's about 60 bucks a month. We were spending only maybe 30 bucks a month all total on all the supplements. As you know, copper sulfate is so cheap. It's like three cents to not 10 cents for a month. It's incredible. Boron is like that way too, super cheap. Um, the seventh change we have done in the last year. Ooh, I'm drawing a blank. I should have taken more colloidal gold. No, I think maybe <laughs> we stepped up, we stepped up the B vitamins a little bit because in part, when I first eliminated the B vitamins, B6 and B9, they say you're supposed to take them all in balance, right? And if you take, if you don't take two, I was worried about causing deficiencies of these two, B6 and B9. But if they're not nutrients in the first place, and if they don't actually do anything positive, then maybe deficiency isn't really a risk, just like vitamin A. Grant Genero has, 
had any vitamin A in eight years and has no vitamin A degeneration problems because all the vitamin A deficiency problems are really the toxicity problems because all the studies were botched. And I want to give one piece of evidence here about vitamin A real quick, and that is this. Prisoners of war are often fed like a cup of rice only all day long. And that's what happened to prisoners of war in World War II on both sides. A cup of rice is your traditional uh, war prison ration. Rice is one of the lowest vitamin A foods on the planet. You can barely get maybe one IEU a day. And according to the vitamin A deficiency studies, you should be going blind after about three months. Well, all these prisoners of war lasted three and a half, four years on these diets, and they had perfect vision. So they had no vitamin A. I mean, they were they were starving to death, right? Practically skeleton humans, but they had no vitamin A deficiency symptoms at all. So all the original vitamin A, what we think we know about vitamin A deficiency is based on botched science, fraudulent science, and you can safely avoid vitamin A just fine. In fact, vitamin A and copper move inversely in the liver. So as one goes up, the other goes down, which is what we see with copper and toxins. <laughs> copper detoxifies toxins, copper detoxifies vitamin A, which is more evidence that vitamin A is just a toxin. Oh, super interesting. Um, funny backstory about the Mesol Gold is um, I was playing around with that and I actually really liked it. And I reached out to them to do a show, to do a podcast, because I've never seen anyone have them on their podcast. And they wouldn't because the FDA's like cracked down on them about um, uh, like cer certain claims or whatever. It's not really claims they've made. It's like the reviews. So it's weird. The FDA is cracking mm. down on them on customer reviews. It wasn't even anything that they stated. Like they didn't state they could cure or anything, but the customers mm. were stating that and the FDA right. tried to crack down on them. So they won't do a show with me. Well, you know, uh, that's so I am. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for sharing with that with me. I have made a conscious decision to not sell any supplements at all, but rather that frees me up to make uh, share the research without getting into trouble, because if you're selling something, you can't share the research. The FDA has cracked down on walnut growers for sharing accurate and true scientific research about wal what walnuts do. And they've cracked down on cherry growers for sharing accurate and true scientific research on what cherries do. So if that's the way they're playing the game, I, you know, I, we, I just, then I can't sell anything. So I am, I am limited to just selling my books and sharing the research that exists. And that is probably dangerous enough to the establishment as it is. In fact, I was <laughs> overjoyed that my book was not banned and censored uh, at Amazon, but it does not mean that it won't be censored at any time in the future. This information can be taken offline. I think it's important for people to get a physical copy of the book as, as, as well as buy the ebook so they can follow all those links, like you said earlier. Yeah, that's amazing. Why don't you tell everybody the actual name of the book, where they can find the <laughs> Facebook group and the website, and I'll link to it all as well. Okay, great. So the book's called The Copper Revolution, Healing with Minerals is the subtitle. It's available exclusively and only on Amazon.com. My website is revealingfraud.com, www.revealingfraud.com. And if you just type in The Copper Revolution at uh, Facebook groups search, uh, our group comes right on up. We have about 16, 17,000 people in the group now. Uh, we've grown that big in one year, which is just mind blowing to me. I've seen other groups. It takes five and 10 years to get 20,000 people and we're, we're, we're almost there. It's amazing. 
Yeah, that's great. And I will link to the book. I'll link to the Facebook group if I can figure out that link. And then also I'm going to definitely link to the Copper Quick Start Guide because I feel like everybody should just at least read through that yeah. if they're going to dive yeah. into any of these minerals. Matt, I'm going to go ahead and send you those links too so that you don't have to knock your head out and trying to figure out where those links are. I'll just send them to you in uh, Facebook Messenger so, you, so you'll have it. All right, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for coming on the show. I thought it was great. Uh, you always do a good job. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being on the show and thank you for taking your time. And we had sure covered a lot and uh, for bearing with me, uh, you know, taking detours here and there and to answer these questions. Sometimes one thing leads to another in ways you don't quite expect. So that's just, yeah, no, I like it. I like to go off, off track for a bit and then reel it back in and it's cool. And maybe we'll just jump on every so often once a year or something. If you keep finding new data and you keep switching things up. So maybe we'll, we'll uh, keep this uh, conversation going. Thank you, Matt. I'd be happy to be back. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at Integrative Matt. Until next time, my friends.